Hello, retro movie lovers, and welcome back to the movie graveyard. We got another cut from the crypt from the vault here today. We're going to be wrong with you with the podcast recorded several years ago, but it's actually very uh, pertinent now. Uh, this was back for our old show, Movie Wars, where we did movie commentaries, and the twist on that show was that some of the people on the commentary liked the movie and some did not. But it's the same old crew that you know from Movie Graveyard, so I figure why not dust this off? First of all, because this episode is no longer available at the place it was originally available, so it'd be nice just to break it out. But also, too, this is actually the 10th anniversary of this film, Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. And also, this film kind of had a little bit of a recent rebirth um, last year, getting a, a second uh, Blu-ray collector edition release from the people at Screen Factory. So I know this is... Uh, you know, pretty popular among the horror people and stuff, so, yeah, so we hope you like it, you know, try not to drag too much horror out here, but it's getting hard, because for some reason, a lot of these uh, movies that come up that are fun to talk about and fun to debate or whatnot, spark discussion of horror films, uh, uh, I think we got another horror film coming up uh, pretty soon, too, on a new episode, but, uh, yeah, hope we don't kill you too much with the horror here, in early 2019 but without further ado sit back relax and listen to this classic episode where we talked about drag me to hell hope you like it you know i think i'm going to just stay in the background here with you guys and listen to this one uh see the much you can hear the much younger and uh you know less wise goat trev 3k and bird discuss the sam raimi I don't know what to call it. Fright Fest, Shock Fest, whatever you want to call it. Drag me to hell. Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Smoking is not permitted in this auditorium. It's the law. Certificates are available at the box office. Thanks for helping us keep the theater clean. As you exit the auditorium, please deposit litter in trash receptacles in the lobby. Please be considerate and don't talk during the show. I'm the goat and I'm here with... Uh, This is Trev from If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. And this is Bird from If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. Today we'll be doing, obviously, you know, because you've seen the episode title, but we're doing Drag Me to Hell, like we said... No, we only we only do listen, we only do Sam Raimi and Mark Webb movies here. That is so. that is true. So obviously there's a finite uh, possible number of episodes, and once we cover all those mo- films, it will be done. But yeah, <clears throat> doing the horror movie obviously for Halloween, but really doing this movie as you probably half ass just heard on Hillbilly DVD reviews the YouTube channel. This was one of the first reviews that uh, we did on there that was like really. Uh, negative, if, if not probably one of the only negative ones we've ever done, just because me and Phil Dees hated this movie so damn much. Uh, but obviously Trevor and Bird, being Sam Raimi fans, you know, they want to stick up for it. You know, tr- uh, Trevor, like the, I think this is kind of how we met. He commented on the video, and we, we got a dialogue going back and forth. So there is some history associated with this film with all of us. That's right. It's like a, it's like a peek back into our past. Exactly. Okay, I'm almost at the sync point. For everybody playing along with your DVD players and Blu-ray players at home, the sync point to start on this one is the opening old-school Universal picture logo. 
Uh, we should also point out, Goat, that we are watching the unrated director's cut. That's right, that's right. Good job. Yeah, we're watching the unrated cut. I know if you have the DVD or the Blu-ray, it probably uh, offers both of you to watch. But we're, we, you know, in all fairness, like I told the guys, you know, let's go with the unrated cut because that's probably the closest, you know, thing to a director's cut or what Sam Raimi intended. So we're rolling and that way. <clears throat> interestingly enough, this cut is a minute shorter. Exactly. Very, very bizarre. So we'll get into why a little bit, but so we don't have our time bomb blow up in our face again with these annoying universal blu-rays that if you pause it too long it will go like to some i don't know screensaver or something we're at the 10 second mark uh at the opening logo universal picture sync your shit up to 10 seconds and we'll do a countdown right now one two three and when we hit three press play on your blu-ray or dvd player all right everybody ready i'm ready all right one two three all right here we go so here we have the old school Universal logo, the 1980s Universal logo. Not quite though, because it doesn't say it's an MCA company anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I don't know if they CGI'd that part out or if this was just a, uh, you know, a, a, a simulation of what the old logo used to be. Right, but I read that the whole reason they did that was just as it's a tribute to the year that Raimi started making uh, film horror films. So. Obviously, and we had the very hokey, but. But cool in a hokey way, Ghost House Picture logo fly up and a little skeleton head thing flew at the camera. So we're jumping right into the movie. Sam Raimi wanted to go with the cold opening here. Going back to, I think it was the 1960s. Very uh, lavish uh, mansion here. Some, uh, some people speaking Spanish here. And uh, it's basically... Uh, you know, what looks to be like a, you know, a, a lower class, I don't know, whatever, immigrant couple here bringing their son to uh, this uh, medium woman to uh, save him because he is the first vist- victim of the movie to have his soul dragged to hell. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert? For what? Uh, you just gave away that this kid gets his soul dragged to hell. Well, that's okay. If people are... <laughs> Why is someone are listening we, to this before they see are, the movie? Are we gonna make that? Are we gonna have to make that joke that they make on every audio commentary where they say, "I hope you're not listening to this before watching the movie." <laughs> I think I think by de facto standard we just did. <laughs> so yes, so we just had our first kind of very Ramyish uh, visual too with the the shadow hands like on the stained glass window. Yeah, like uh, now go ahead, Bird. Oh, I I was just gonna say. Uh, uh, to my understanding, this movie was first written between, I think, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And yeah. uh, it's a, it was a very old script that had kind of, they had just not gotten around to making. And I, I, from what I understand, it changed very little from then to now, just updating it with things like, you know, cell phones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd read that it was supposed to be the... Um... <clears throat> not sure when they wrote it. it might have been in between those films but i i read that it was supposed to be kind of the next film after army of darkness yeah that's okay. what i read too yeah okay, I, that, I read it was that... like it was an army of darkness follow-up that just didn't happen and then right. kind of... uh, originally titled the curse but i think that will wheaton uh a farm horror film took that title and that's why they 
Yeah, it's yeah. Ob obviously not called The Curse anymore. Because clearly that Will Wheaton movie really entered into the popular consciousness, so you couldn't use that title anymore. <laughs> it, yeah, that, it didn't. Anyway. Well, you know, Drag Me to Hell is a much better title anyways. It's it much is. more attention-grabbing. Well, I think it's very appropriate for, like, you know, 2000s, whatever. I think you need more of an in-your-face title like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, right now we just saw the little boy get dragged to hell. They didn't show it in full view. It was kind of cutting in between you know, the lady's facial reactions. But yeah, like literally it is dragging to hell. Like the ground will just open up. You'll see fire come out and some hands will pull you down to hell. So that's the whole, you know, conceit of this, of this film here. Well, let's I got to oh, go say a, a movie that, uh, that opens with a child being dragged screaming into fiery depths of hell already has my, 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 uh, affection. That's what I was about to say too. I was like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta give it up for a movie that kills a kid in the first, like, you know, four minutes or whatever. But Exactly. And I, I, lo I also love this this o the opening title sequence here, as well as the the score by Christopher Young. Here is really good too. Christopher Young, if I'm not mistaken, famous for his Hellraiser score. Absolutely, among among others. But I I mean, yeah, Hellraiser is like that's yeah a guy Young, a Hellraiser. guy a guy who doesn't get used enough. I think in the horror genre nowadays. I wish more people would come back to him because his scores are always great. Yeah, I, I have to say. Um, Knowing that going into this latest viewing of this movie, I was really listening for the soundtrack, and um, oh, I'll have to look it up. But supposedly for this score, and I'm sure it was Raimi, you know, probably using it on the temp track or something, wanted to keep it. There's actually portions of the score that are from another Christopher Young score. I can't remember the name of the movie off the, off the top of my head. But I'm uh, surprised how often that happens. Like. Um... I think the first time I ever noticed something like that was, uh, I think it was Scream 2, and I noticed they were using some music from Broken Arrow. Oh, yeah, that, that was really weird, the, the, the kind of jangly guitar part they kept using in Scream 2. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Bert. With, with that, I think it was just because the Scream movies were pumped out so quick, they didn't even have time to do a real score. But I think, I think with this, obviously, this... And I, and I heard Raimi is a big stickler for that. Like, I heard that... Um, him and, uh, well, I didn't hear, I read it directly from Danny Elfman. Him and Danny Elfman had a big falling out because on one of the Spider-Man films, Raimi literally wanted to use, like, pieces of old scores, and Danny Elfman was like, no, I want to create something new. And, you know, obviously that created a divide. Obviously, Christopher Young doesn't mind recycling old shit for Sam Raimi. Well, you know what? I mean, what happens sometimes is, uh, well, I, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but they you, you put in music from other films as temp score, and then I can see why sometimes... You would just fall in love with the way a certain like scene plays to the music you're already using. So, oh, you know, if you can get the rights to it, you know, why not reuse it? Exactly. Uh, I looked it up, guys. Uh, the score contains elements of Young's previous work on Flowers in the Attic, which was, you know, ba very bizarre film. I like it a lot, based on the V.C. Andrews book about kids having incest up in the uh, the attic. Mm -hmm. But uh, Raimi and Christopher Young also worked on The Gift and Spider-Man Three score. So there you go. So here we now we're jumping into our main story with uh, you know Allison Lohman playing Christine Brown, uh, just a young bank worker, and this is where I start having problems with this movie. <laughs> Already? <laughs> <laughs> Already. First of all, I got major issues with this fake bank. It's so fake. And uh, I watched some of the behind-the-scenes shit, and the production designer was talking about how the whole reason that this bank basically looks like a fake bank with these fake colors and all this, it's like really drab colors, is for the later scene where they sprayed the blood all over. They really wanted that to pop out, which, I mean, is fine. I totally, I totally understand that thinking, but for the rest of the movie, we have to look at this bank that, 
I mean, for for the budget on this movie, supposedly $30 million, and that's one of the main things I'll keep pounding over and over. This does not look like a $30 million movie. This doesn't look like a $20 million movie. This looks like about a 6 or $7 million movie because just a lot of these, I don't know, corner-cutting moves like this, a poor set design, what have you, this movie looks cheap as hell. Like, it, like if Sam Raimi, wasn't, his name wasn't plastered all over this thing, like, I really think this thing would have gone direct to video. It just looks so poor. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a long podcast if you're just already if you're just gonna complain about the way the bank looks, you know, if that's like where the issues are coming from. But well, it, it's like the problem I have with this movie is there's a lot of things that I'm just not sold on, and I guess we'll get into it. But the the relationship between her and her boyfriend, this work relationship between the stew guy and then uh, David Paymer, who like I love David Paymer, but man, like even he's like bad in this. Like, this script, like, it takes so many shortcuts, and, like, I kind of see where this could have been a script written 20 years ago when Ivan Raimi and Sam Raimi, like, weren't quite as polished as writers as they are now, because this script, man, you'll literally have people just saying the plot points out loud, especially the Justin Long character here, her boyfriend, just, it's painful how obviously, like, oh, hey, I'm just going to say this out of the blue, something nobody would ever say out loud, just so two scenes later, you, you like, you'll know what's going on, like, basically just spelling the entire movie out. Here we go. Do, do you want to, Bird, do you want to respond to it at all? Or? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe I, it's because I haven't watched this movie in a long time, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I didn't do my homework like you guys did. You guys both watched this before, like, yesterday or something, right? Yeah, I watched uh, it last night and finished it up this morning. I've watched it recently, not as recently as, like, in the last couple of days, but I've watched it. Uh, All right. yeah, I mean, I'm watching talking. it I'm watching it right now, and I, I do have the sound and the subtitles on, and, I mean, I'm not really hearing anything that is, like, you know, horrible or... Well, I mean, it's not a David Mamet. It's, it's not a David Mamet script or anything, but it's not really. I don't know. I guess the way I look at it goes, it's not a kind of movie I'm watching for like fantastic dialogue or anything. You know, it is. At the end of the day, it's a. It's a little goofy. It's a. It's a fun ride. It's like a. You know. It's just meant to be like a haunted house ride. That's all this film is. So I kind of give a little more leeway to like the dialogue, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I think of when I. I don't know. Sam Raimi horror movies aren't really known for having good dialogue. <laughs> if, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, has terrible dialogue. I mean, <laughs> so pretty much, you guys are admitting that Sam Raimi's not that talented, right off the bat. No, I mean, there's what it if it all depends on what you're looking for in a film. I mean, I don't watch it. Certain movies need to have a great script in terms of dialogue, and certain movies don't. I don't think. I mean, do, do you not like Evil Dead because the dialogue is bad? No, it's it, it's fine, and like. With that movie, I feel like he's showing us a lot more than he's telling us. And I feel like this movie, he's telling us a lot more than he's showing us. And it's just, like, real obvious things. And, like, shit like this, like, what's going on right now, uh, if you're not following on the DVD at home, we're, we're still going through the sloggy part of the opening film where it's just the bank politics. Basically just, again, revolving around her, this this new guy at the bank, Stu, and then her boss, David Paymer, because they're vying for this... Uh, assistant manager position and basically Stu's just being like a big kiss ass he's he's doing all the right shit for the boss but he's really not the best worker or anything and again like he just intentionally sabotaging her over and over and like down to the point that he's bitching that she didn't get 
his sandwich order right, which, by the way, it wasn't her job to take anybody's sandwich order. She just did it for her boss to kiss a little ass. Like, why would she even consent to get this asshole a sandwich? But, well, I think that's the point, Go. I mean, you're talking about not, I mean, not that I want to, like, overstate how great this uh, story beat it is, but you're talking about, like, poor characterization and everything. And the fact is she takes the sandwich order and that's supposed to show she's a pushover. I mean, it's all building to this moment where she makes this, like, fateful decision to finally, for once in her life, not be a pushover. And that sets everything into motion. So you're saying this part's like a slog, but this whole part is setting up what, what leads to, like, the whole point of the film. Well, I mean, from this point forward, it's pretty much not going to stop. You know, <laughs> it's so it's not that it can't be that much of a slog. He's already grossing us out with this old lady spitting up yellow goo and stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're only about like 12 minutes into the film here, and I, I don't think it's been that slow. I mean, it's just been a you know, there was the cold open and the opening credits, and then you just have a few minutes of character development. But now, right now, we're gonna get to the moment where she, she does the thing she I don't know, you can say whether she should have done it or not, but this will set everything in motion. And like Bird said, from here, it's pretty much a you know, a non stop movie. This part of the film is what me and Phil D's call Sam Raimi's tough decision. I think you could play a drinking game based on how many times you hear the phrase tough decision in this opening part of the movie. Basically, in order to show her boss that you know she has the balls to really be an assistant manager of this fake artificial looking bank, she has to do asshole things just to prove that you know her emotions won't get in the way. So back and forth, he's basically saying, I need you to make tough decisions. Don't worry, boss, I'll make tough decisions. Well, it's good, because we need somebody in this position who can make tough decisions. I'm count Because I, I have the subtitles on, too. I'm counting how many times I've just seen tough decision in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> Don't, this is making me wonder if you've ever been inside a bank, because banks are really boring-looking places. Yeah, but they're, 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 they're not all gray and shit. Like, I've never been in a completely gray bank <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I don't know i don't know one of the banks i've gone to looked not too dissimilar from this banks i mean are, i go banks it seems like every bank either picks red or blue as like their primary color and like you know to decorate the outside the inside this one like it was just the gray and beige bank <laughs> i mean i understand it's an artificial bank and whatever but it just looks like a set is basically what my point is. So here, she, so after all that tough decision talk, she comes back to the desk with the old lady who's asking for an extension on her mortgage and stuff. So what do you think is going to happen, guys? Do you think she's going to make the tough decision? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> so are you attacking a horror movie for being predictable? I mean... No, it's, it's exactly what I was talking about before, Trev. It's like... It's like, why does this movie have to tell us what's going to happen in the next scene? Like, why can't we just see it happen in the next scene? You know what I mean? Like, instead of all this, like, going back and forth with the boss going, should I make the tough decision? Like, why can't we just spend that screen time, like, on this scene between this woman and uh, Allison Lohman? Like, why can't we see, like, you know, their conversation go back and forth, like, you know, like... I mean, let's be honest, this this old lady's kind of an asshole, and that's another huge problem I have with this movie, is we're supposed to believe that, you know, uh, the Christine Brown character deserves this curse, or, or, or like, which, whichever way you look at it, it's, it's all muddied up, because the woman giving the curse isn't really, you know, nice or good, it, you know, it's not like, it's not like a, 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 a very well put together character, like, you know, saying, oh, I've been wrong and this is my vengeance. Like, we don't know anything about this lady. All she does is walk into the bank, acts like a complete asshole, and then gives somebody a curse. It's like, 
It's like, yeah, you didn't pay your mortgage. Like, you're going to get thrown out like everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, like. Well, I don't think this movie is meant to be like a black and white morality tale where we're supposed to be against the main character or for her. I mean, I think, I think for the majority of the film, our sympathy is supposed to be on her side because we feel like she didn't deserve this. And then as the film goes along, you know, you get to moments where suddenly this, the story starts playing with what kind of moral choices would you make to get out of this curse if it happened to you? I don't think it's as simple as saying like, oh, we want, we're supposed to sympathize with the old lady here and be like, wow, this main character is being such a bitch because really then why would we want to be with a bitch for the next like 80 minutes or whatever? No, I, yeah, I, I, I never thought that we were supposed to really think one way or the other about it at this point. I mean, later on in the movie, you see the, the main character does do things for purely selfish reasons. But again, that's a byproduct of what's happened to her. So, I mean, it is kind of, I mean, it's interesting to play with that a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you guys are saying, and not to get ahead of ourselves too much, but, like, yeah, at this point in time, she doesn't deserve the curse. And hey, then, wait, you guys, got, really quickly, you notice Octavia Spencer back there in the background? Oh, that is her, yeah, with the other lady just standing there gawking. <laughs> Sam Raimi really knows, Sam Raimi really knows how to uh, take advantage of talent there. But yeah, like I feel like later on, because she does get desperate and do some pretty horrible things to try to avoid the curse, Like then I feel like we shift that, oh, maybe she does deserve it, you know what I mean? But at the same time, she's only doing these horrible things because she was cursed in the first place, so like unfairly. So, I mean, I don't know. It just... Yeah, like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is... I don't know. I mean, maybe you could argue it's a morality story or a morality play, but I don't really look at it that way. I think it's more like just playing with the idea of like what would happen to a person if this curse was on them and what would what links would you go to i mean uh, when we get to the end you know spoiler alert uh when we get to the end i guess we can all take a moment and talk about whether we think it ends in like a way where you're supposed to feel good about what happens but i don't know i I just don't think it's black and white or you know not to say it's like extremely complex either but i think Raimi's just having fun with the idea overall yeah i I think that i mean we'll get to it when we get to it but i think the end is pretty unsatisfying feeling like you know just totally but but we just had a cameo here of a sam raimi staple we had the classic the yeah. classic car from it's the actually if you noticed in if you noticed in the earlier uh, moment when they were kicking the old lady out of the bank it actually is supposed to be her car that's the car she drives right that's how i always took it too even mm-hmm. though they don't explicitly say well they do later because it's at it's at her house when she shows up at her house now there is a funny moment coming up here goat you just watched this yesterday that i do want to point yeah. out that it might be the only movie i've ever seen that gets a jump scare out of a uh, out of a napkin yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of like handkerchief napkin like jump scares in this movie strangely enough i don't understand this moment like why the handkerchief slamming against the window would make her jump back and scream like even the way it's filmed isn't very convincing but again this whole movie this is one of those movies it's just designed to be like an in-theater experience of like jump scare jump scare and that's why you know bird and i have a lot of problems with jump scares but there's certain movies like this or like woman in black where i think it's handled well and it's just meant to be like a fun it's just a, a fun movie he's not really trying to like go really hardcore or extreme with this at all you know the jump scares that really bother me are fake ones like uh for example, like Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, when that cop like walks up behind the guy and like touches his shoulder, and it's like, Pew! and it's yeah. like, what? I, like those are the ones that bother me the most. I mean, I don't like any of them. But now that was actually a nice, like, cool little moment, like subtle moment there with her, her following the handkerchief and the old lady just sitting there in the back seat. Like that could have been a moment where they could have just had her 
suddenly jump out and he did something a little more interesting with that no that i will have to say that's that is great i was thinking the exact same thing while we were watching it just now that basically she watches the and let's uh, let's admit it too uh because i'll slam it later but very unconvincing cgi scarf or whatever it was yeah i mean there's there's some pretty wonky cgi in this movie there's some really bad cgi which which again is like another one of my like whatever's that you know, although I think whatever elements that are CGI in this particular scene, other than the handkerchief, are pretty well done. It's later on that it gets really, really bad. But yeah, we we basically, and I like this idea. Like I'll give him credit. This is one of the better scenes of the movie. Yeah, uh, I love this scene. The, yeah, this is a good scene. For for people who aren't following along, we're talking about the scene where she fights the old lady in the car while the car is you know moving. It's basically slamming back and forth in between the walls and the different cars in this parking garage. So, so like, and, and, you know, like, this this easily could have been a great scene. I mean, obviously not with all this gross-out shit, like the CGI dentures flying out. But in general, this would be a great scene to put in, like, a regular action movie. But here we obviously have it being played between a girl and a really nasty old lady. And, and come on, this is just, dis- this is funny and disgusting. This is hokey and terrible, man. Like, well, How is this different from any of the, like, the gross-out gags in, you know, a lot of Sam Raimi movies? Well, I like like that's where I kind of draw the line, and like that's where like now the ruler in the mouth. This is terrible, guys. <laughs> I mean, what like what would that even do? Is it lodged in the back of her throat? Like, what's going on here? Oh, and then it flies out like a Looney Tune cartoon because that's exactly well, what it was. You'd know this is a Sam Raimi horror movie, right? I mean, that's what he's famous for. It is, but there's a, there's a difference <laughs> no. between pulling this off when you're like a 25 year old filmmaker and when like you're like a 45 year old filmmaker. You know what I mean? Like. Like, how come he, like, has not gotten any more sophisticated... And I understand after getting butt-slammed by Sony over and over on the Spider-Man movies, this was kind of, like, one for the fans again, so to speak. But still, like, there's so many moments that could have been played straight scary in this movie, and we just get, like, knocked over the head with the the goofy, corny Sam Raimi bullshit over and over and over. But that's the kind of of movie he wanted to make. Like, I mean, basically what this boils down to is you're attacking him for making a Sam Raimi movie. I mean... He does, he's, I don't know, even like the first Evil Dead, you know, they can say now like, oh, you meant the first Evil Dead to be like really scary, but it's made with like a slightly more corny tone, which made, they don't seem to admit as much as the fans seem to get it. But I mean, that is his sensibility and there's nothing wrong with that to me. I mean, it's the, you know, you have plenty of hardcore, you know, brutal horror films like Sam Raimi has a certain style and it's, it's more fun. It's more meant to be like a, a goofy kind of good time. I agree. And no matter what you're trying to do, like you're saying, well, that's what he wanted to do. No matter what you're trying to do, you can still do it in a successful way. And I think this movie kind of misses the mark, even on the goofy shit, about 75% of the time, you know, than it makes it. Because, like, like, what's the goofiest moment probably ever in any Sam Raimi, you know, horror film? It's it's Bruce Campbell beating himself up after his hand gets possessed in Evil Dead 2. But if you watch that scene, like, I mean... Like, there's something there. Bruce Campbell brought the physicality. He flips over. He smashes himself over to have a plates and plates. And you're like, like, it's crazy. It's outrageous. Like, it's actually a good physical performance by an actor. Like, the stuff that's done in this movie, it's basically just CGI gag after CGI gag. You know, it's like, there's there's nothing really, A, original about it. There's nothing really that, like, exciting about it. Like, I mean, this was a well-staged scene for the most part, this fight in this car. But, like, once you got to, like, the goofy, like, CGI moments, like, there's nothing that's really that well done about it. Like, there's nothing 
in this movie that no other like current filmmaker could easily do like whereas back in the day Sam Raimi was coming up with original shit and hey maybe it was mostly Bruce Campbell who brought that originality but for whatever reason like this really this movie to me screams of like a over the hill version of Sam Raimi like it's I don't know it's it's definitely weak shit compared to like his old stuff well it, it's not an evil dead movie you know, it's not really supposed to be. It's supposed to be another Sam Raimi horror movie, which is it's going to be a horror movie with the same sense of humor and the same sensibilities. But it's also not going to be a crazy gore fest or or something with, you know, these insane gore gags either. You know, it's it's something different still. I mean, I see what you're saying, but like, let's be honest, guys. It's been about four mo- four years since this this movie came out. Like, who remembers it? Whoever talks about it, like, that's my point. Is like. None of this shit is like really that great. I mean, do, I mean, do you guys is is there like any one big moment that like not in terms of just saying this is the best moment from this particular film, but I'm talking about all his films together. Like, say you were to make a top five or top ten Sam Raimi moment in film list, is there anything from this movie that would make it to that list? Like, I don't really think so. Like. This is a movie that was kind of fan service, jerking off his fan base, saying, oh, remember this kind of shit I used to do? Oh, here I am doing it again. But my point is, like, none of this stuff really reaches, like, a really great height or, like, is really memorable in any way whatsoever. But every I mean, I, my argument to that would be, so it's not one of his most memorable films. That doesn't make it a bad film in and of, of itself. Every director is going to have those kind of films where it's, like, whether the film works in the moment or not, it's not going to be, like, their top movie. I mean... We, you know, we've been having an online discussion about John Carpenter, and you go, you're one of those weirdos who likes Ghosts of Mars. Well, I mean, is there anything in Ghosts of Mars that would make your list of top ten John Carpenter moments? But if you say no, that doesn't mean it ruins the movie for you. Not to mention, I, I think more people talk about this movie than Ghosts of Mars. This movie it was really well received when it came out critically. It's just, you know, we'll, we can talk a little later when there's more lulls or whatever, because uh, we're about to get to an actor I want to talk about, but... You know, we'll talk more about why this movie didn't do well. But I mean, just because it's not as t- not just because it's not talked about as much as other horror movies, I don't think devalues it. There's some other horror movies from around this period that I love that I feel like don't get enough attention. I mean, you talk I, about I mean, something like I love the movie Dog Soldiers, and you don't hear anyone talk about that anymore. But to me, well, it's one of the better. I mean, one of my movies. one of my absolute favorite John Carpenter movies is Prince of Darkness, and I think I'm one of like ten people that even have seen that movie. So. You know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's just some directors have movies that are destined to just be, you know, for cult fans. And Yeah, and we can, and like one thing that I think hurt this film, <laughs> I, I hate to like say this because it seems like mean-spirited, but I think, you know, we've all done our research on this and we remember when it came out. This was originally supposed to be Ellen Page in this part, and unfortunately she backed out to do uh, Whip It, and you got Alison Lohman instead, who was not a star at the time, not even of the... I'd say at the time she wasn't even at the level of Ellen Page, and Ellen Page wasn't that big of a star then, and her star hasn't grown at all. So, you know, sometimes you have a movie that, like, it comes out of time, and then a couple years later, the actor, and it's, like, becomes a bigger deal. More people go back and revisit it, but there's nothing about Alison Lohman that's causing anyone to go back and reevaluate this film either, which, you know, I don't know if you guys think that's mean to say, but it's just kind of true. I kind of want to get out of the way here, Trev, uh, real quick to let you talk about this actor. I know you want to talk about, but just real quick, I want to drop two things. Uh, I like I always thought this movie was a bomb too, but according to what I read, it you know it made ninety million worldwide. Which I mean, obviously they would have liked to done more, but still, that's not bad considering you know the low budget nature. Well, fairly low budget, thirty million, whatever. It's so I mean. 
like that's one thing like i won't slam this as being a flop or whatever it just no and it was it was sold on sam raimi's name coming off the spider-man films so i mean i guess that probably helped it a little bit and maybe i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure it was released during summer right trev yeah, it was one of those, like, wasn't Bird, wasn't it, like, one of those, like, tail end of the summer like ones? Like, August 27th type of movie or something like that? Was it? I feel like it, I just remember, I saw it, uh, at the drive-in is a double bill with Public Enemies, so, whenever Public Enemies was out, <laughs> that's sort of what I was Oh, uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, it says May 29th, 2009, I thought it was, like, an August oh, movie. Yeah, I thought it was for some reason, too, but see, that's kind of a, that's an odd time to release a horror movie, too, but... And uh, I guess we'll talk about it later or something, but but another fact, like how you were saying Trev Allison Lohman, who I do want to stick up with her. She's the one thing I do like about this movie. Uh, I, I think she's really good in this. I think she's awesome. But uh, how you said her star has not grown, uh, you know, like whatever, like she's not even an actress anymore, which is pretty shocking. But we'll get to back to that later. Trev, talk, talk about this guy that you want to talk about. <laughs> Trev, you love this guy. I do love this. I don't know. I'm just fascinated by this guy. Dilip Rao. Uh, <laughs> This guy's just so weird because right at the, right when this came out, there was this guy was like nobody, and suddenly he was in this Avatar and Inception like within the span of a couple of years. And, and he even he made the, again. and then he made the, he even made the poster of Inception. I mean, I'm looking at that poster right now. I have it in my I have it hanging up here, and he's he's right there with DiCaprio, Ellen Page, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. His name's not on the poster, but his it, he, he his picture made it. <laughs> and it's just like, how did this guy who was like a nobody suddenly work for Raimi, Cameron, and Nolan? And then, like Bird said, then he just kind of went away again. I guess he was patiently waiting for Avatar two, but I don't know. It's just there's just something so weird about that that you could have, you could ascend that high out of nowhere, but really have no <laughs> He's mysterious. like, but have no impact on like pop culture or anything, and still people don't really know who he is. Again. But I, I I like him in this, and I like him in Inception. Uh, I don't really remember him in Avatar that much, um, but I'm sure he was fine in it. Yeah, like like I actually noticed around that same time period too, Trev him popping up and everything, and, and like he he is good. Like like the only thing that I really like come out of this movie, like he he has a very greasy appearance in this. Like his his beard is very pubic hair like. Uh, it looks like he, he he grew this nasty beard and dipped it in the honey or something. I don't know. He just has a very like if you shook hands with him, your hand would be greasy afterwards. He just looks like that kind of guy. But I, but I think maybe with uh, what you're talking about, how all of a sudden he went from nobody to being in all these films, and it doesn't really matter what the type is. Like sometimes it's like, uh, you know, because let's be honest, like like uh, mainstream Hollywood, like they love to cast every single role white if they could. So like when you have a, a you know, a, like a character, like a minor character where you can throw in some diversity, it seems like they do that. And, like, it doesn't really matter the nationality. Like, sometimes you'll see, like, an Asian guy pop up out of nowhere and be in, like, a million movies. Like, if you remember that, I, I don't know his name, but that Asian dude who, like, popped up in Twilight and Freddy vs. Jason and all those other movies a few years ago. It's, like, it's like they kind of, like, fill out the roles with just, like, uh, random ethnicity just so they can't be called out for, you know, only casting white people in the movie. Well, you know what happens in Hollywood sometimes, too, and I'm sure this is, he was probably, probably part of what I was talking about as a result of this also, is that... Hollywood's always like kind of eager to find that next big star, and I don't know which one. I guess Drag Me to Hell probably came first in that list I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But whoever, like Cameron, might have been like auditioning people and been like, "Oh, this guy just worked with Raimi," you know? Because I know that kind of that's what happened with Sam Worthington and kind of propelled him along, even though he's right. pretty he's pretty well, generic well, and Trev, terrible. Av- but Avatar only came out a few months after this. Yeah, so like I mean, I would assume he filmed this, or maybe he filmed Avatar first, then and then 
they got him for this because they knew he was in a Cameron movie. Either way, whichever way you look at it, I know with Worthington, like he had done Terminator, so Cameron was like knew about it. He was like, oh, he's going to be the, the guy from the new Terminator movie, so he'll probably be marketable enough for Avatar. And that's what happens is they they look ahead and see what they have coming up, and if they're in another big movie, then it's like they might be the next big thing. And with him, it just didn't quite happen, even though he was in three pretty big movies right in a row. Well, like I, I've noticed, and this is kind of, you know, the conclusion I've come over the years of obviously like watching movies nonstop is you'll, you, yeah, exactly, guys like like this guy is like you's like wait he was in this this and this and it's kind of like what happened to that guy? But no, you can be in the top three like highest grossing movies of all times, but it, it seems like if you're a, um, like a secondary character or is just a supporting character, like nobody in the business world of Hollywood really attributes the success of the movie to you. So it's like it's almost like you weren't in the movie at all in terms of like helping you, you know, get your next role or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, dude, th- this dude dropped off big time. He did draft. If he was if he was smart, what if, if I you know, I love giving agent advice, even though I'm not one, but. He should have used whatever exposure he got from those three films to get like on as a lead on like a TV show because that's probably where he could have then you know found a career. But. I'm looking at his IMDb and after he had the big year of '09 and 2010 of Drag Me to Hell, Avatar, Inception, he did a short film. He made one appearance on Children's Hospital. He was in two episodes of the TV show Touch that got canceled. He's 2013. He's done another short film and he's on pre-production of probably a comedy movie called Murder of a Cat. So, like, this dude, he hasn't even booked another feature film since Inception. Crazy. It's crazy the shit that goes on in Hollywood. Yeah, I assume he'll be in the next Avatar, because I know Joel David Moore is, but who who knows? We'll wait and see, I guess. You never know. Yeah, but it's like like I was saying, like, sometimes you just see them guys pop up, and they have that quick little run, and then that's over. And, And, like, to be fair, sometimes, you know... Sometimes it's I've heard actors talk about like after they reach a certain level of success or whatever, uh, you know they don't want to audition anymore because it sucks, man. Going to twenty auditions a week, not getting any parts. Like like I'm sure this dude was probably like, hey motherfuckers, I was in Avatar. Like I can be in your shitty director video movie. But you yeah, know. maybe he just stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, you said she's not an actress anymore. No, and like here's okay, here's the weird thing, uh, Bird. And real quick, just to get back to it, this is another scene that I hate too, guys. This just, I mean, this looks like something that would be in a shitty uh, paranormal activity movie. Just this lights going out, shit banging around. Like, this is totally weak. I don't know, paranormal movie shit. But yeah, she she literally has not done a movie since uh, 09. She had Drag Me to Hell and Gamer come out. She has not done a movie since then. Like, like, I'm looking at her IMDb. Like, maybe she did some indies that got shelved or something. I don't know. And, like, I tried doing a search about her quitting acting or whatever, and, like, I couldn't find anything. So, I mean, let's may I don't know. Maybe she got married. Maybe she's, like, just focusing on having a family right now. Because she actually is older than she looks. Like, she's, like, 34 years old now, and she looks like somebody, you know, you know. in the movie Matchstick Men, I think she was in her mid-20s, and they had her play a 12-year-old girl. But uh, yeah, even here, I mean, watching this, I would you would guess like early twenties. You know? Yeah, when she was probably like thirty when she made this movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, her IMDb page, and and that's another thing I I think's funny about this movie. It kind of you know jabs at her appearance, saying she used to be fat, and she's this you know it, it puts up the the idea that she's this insecure farm girl in the big city, and she, you know she has an embarrassing family and stuff and it's just i like honestly like i think that would totally was all written for ellen page because like 
like this girl, I mean, she's not what you call the Hollywood beauty or whatever, but like they made her look good in this movie. Like they gave her blonde hair, she looks good. Like on her IMDb page, there's like a picture of her from the Beowulf premiere. And, like, she looks fucking awesome. So, like, I think this was, like, even though, yeah, she's not, like, a Cameron Diaz type or something like that. Like, I still think, like, to me, all that shit fell flat about her being a, you know, a homely farm girl or whatever in this movie. Like, she's good looking enough. Like, she shouldn't be playing that so type you're of saying, role. So what you're saying is they should have cast a real uggo like Ellen Page? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I we just I mean, missed I... uh, Ted Raimi, by the way. Did we? Yeah, he was the doctor. Yeah. Did they even show his face? Because, like... <laughs> they didn't. Okay, no, it's okay. A vo- it's a voice cameo, yeah. No, I was going to say, that, like, exactly with the kind of shit I was bitching about. Uh, uh, just to recap, after she gets beaten up by literally a shadow, you know, her boyfriend, Justin Long, calls a doctor, and, you know, we just hear, you know, kind of like the wrap-up. Like, oh, it's just a post-traumatic stress, whatever. But, yeah, like, it's so horrible. Like, you can tell it's all dubbed over because the doctor's, like, like, like Justin Long says to the doctor, just to kind of, like, you know, after he's done talking to the doctor in the hallway and he comes into the bedroom with her, he's like, uh, so, doctor, uh, do you want me to walk you out? Oh, no, I'm fine. I, I can find my own way out. <laughs> and then he walks in. And, like, obviously that was something in ADR that was like, oh, you know, just so it wouldn't be confusing, did the doctor leave? Is the doctor still here? Like, whatever. There was obviously an afterthought, but still, like, why even explain something like that? Like, the doctor's gone, whatever, they're going to start making out. Very, very bizarre saying. It reminds me of the woodshed line from Evil Dead, too. Oh, right, right. So yeah, so I, I guess one of my in terms of this movie not working as a movie for me is the do you, and be honest, do you guys find this relationship between Justin Long and Allison Lohman convincing at all? Like these people have no chemistry together. Like I never like it almost seems like there's it almost seems like it was the way they acted is that it's like a brother sister relationship instead of a, you know a romantic you know girlfriend boyfriend relationship. Uh, not getting the brother-sister thing, and I, I don't necessarily think they're, you know, lighting the screen with chemistry, but I, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I don't think they have no chemistry. I don't think it's Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman or anything. Yeah, I think they're serviceable enough. Like, in terms of whether they, like, seem like a couple, I don't know, but I think they both are individually fine and in, like, what they have to do in this film. Like, I think she does a good job, like, playing off, like, dealing with this curse. And I think his main role is playing off, like, not believing anything and this like frustration of what's going on. And I think he plays that just fine. And the, I think the the key is that they're they're both likable performers. And I think that's kind of what matters in this movie. Um, there's something about like whether you, I don't know how you guys feel about Justin Long, but I kind of I've always liked Justin Long just because he is he just seems like such a likable guy. Like he has that kind of charisma to him. And that this has so- actually happened to me, by the way. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, an old lady. Let's explain for people maybe not watching. You know, if they're listening to Cubicle, we're at this scene where. You know, she's sleeping in the bed with her boyfriend, and she's dead-ass asleep when a fly comes through the window, first crawls in her nose, then literally pushes its way through her lips into her mouth. Has this happened to you, Bird? Uh, this has not happened to me. Okay. Have, you, have you not had an old uh, uh, Romanian gypsy woman jump into your bed and barf uh, maggots all over your mouth? 
I'm I am one of the few that has not had that happen. Look, no, let's let's give Al Spoman some credit there for doing that. Yeah, I, like I saw that there's like they show that the behind the scenes of that, and then her talking about it afterwards. You can tell she wasn't too happy because from what she said originally, she said she was fine with the scene until all of a sudden Sam Raimi wanted her to take all the maggots in the mouth, and they were real maggots. Um, Greg, well, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be a Raimi horror film if he wasn't at least somewhat punishing his main actor and. I guess he's not willing to go as far with her as he has with Bruce Campbell, but you know you had to get, you had to do something to upset her. I don't know if it was like the PG thirteen thing, or maybe just you know his attitude towards like beating up a woman on screen was different. But yeah, he definitely did more gross shit to her than where Bruce Campbell he would physically punish him and beat him up yeah. and you know. Well, I yeah. think there is like I think yeah I, I'm sure it is partly because it's a female character, and I don't whether that comes from him or just like the general conception of what you can do with a woman. But again, I also, well, I mean, like he's also the one that, I mean, when he told any, any, whoever was going to get the, the lead in the new evil dead, he said, you're, you're going to get your ass kicked <laughs> basically. So, I mean, yeah. And, uh, on that more than this, it sounded like Jane Le- Levy was like miserable, like the entire <laughs> filming. But well, honestly, like that's the feeling I got from Alison Lohman too. Like, like she, even on the behind the scenes, you can see the look on her face while they're like setting up the shots and shit. And and like not so much that she was like a prima donna or anything. Like I'm sure she did this movie because it is her biggest starring role. But at the same time, like you can tell this was tough for her. And like I don't know if she had a bad attitude afterwards. But I did read an interview online where it said that this movie dr- uh, drove her to just drinking straight vodka. Like so, it, this was pretty tough to pull off. So yeah, so here we go with the one of the most infamous scenes of this movie. Now this is this is one of the first uh, I don't want to say big differences but this is one of the first differences between the PG-13 and unrated cut. Right. Although oddly enough like you would think I mean there's only like a little bit more blood here. The the PG-13 version was already pretty I mean when I remember when I saw this in the theater I thought it was like a shocking amount of blood for a PG-13 this scene. Well yeah, I think he got away with it cuz it was so comedic and, yeah. and and this is what I mean like I just need some variety like you can do the silly gross out shit and you can do the like the more scary shit but we just had that stupid Sam Raimi corny barf maggots in the mouth scene and what does he do? He, he doesn't even give us a break. We follow it right up with the nosebleed scene which I I do have to say I was impressed. I always thought, to me, this blood looks super, super fake. But I always thought this was CGI or CGI enhanced. But I did see the making of it. I was shocked to see that they actually filmed that. They had a tube go around the side of her face into her nose. And then there was like a stopper in her nose. So it wasn't like just shooting right out her nose. It shot up into her nose and then bounced out to try to make it look more real. I do think the blood coming out of her mouth was CGI, but... So the only the only difference because go you said you've never watched the PG no, thirteen version but in the PG thirteen version the the difference is that moment where she barfs the blood isn't there okay. it's just it's just the nosebleed in the PG thirteen version okay which which honestly I would prefer like I found that mouth thing besides look you know, I don't know it, it didn't well, it seemed really like make an ex, it seemed like an extra beat of a gag that doesn't it doesn't I don't think it plays the way they meant it to because like what you if you notice like. She starts puking up the blood and then she covers her mouth and it shoots out of her nose instead but I don't I don't know how well that like. I get the idea, but I don't think it plays on screen the way he meant it to. I, I yeah, I don't think it plays either, Trev. Just because obviously, like, I don't think they meant for that beat to be in there when they filmed it. It would have been different if she would have plugged the nose and then like you would have seen her cheeks filled up and then it come out her mouth. But like obviously that was later, you know, added in later or what have you. Because yeah, it did. It didn't really play that the blood was you know going up her nose down into her throat or whatever. You almost wonder if they just did it to say they could have another difference for the unrated cut. That's probably true. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, like, as far as I know, the only thing that 
the big difference is the fate of or what how they deal with the cat and that was something the NPAA just wouldn't budge on and he said whatever if it's that small of a difference I'll just do it but in like something like that yeah you wonder if it's like oh well they're gonna let us put out the other version on DVD so let's throw something else in there anyway I don't know right, I don't because yeah. it's such a weird thing like yeah because that's it, obviously something that was done in post right and the PG-13 cut doesn't have it so it's like how could it like i doubt it was really planned that way because yeah if if it was if it was planned that way why not just you know go practical with it like they did with the nose blood you know Mm -hmm. which when we get to the cat killing scene i have a big big problem with that scene and and not even with sam raimi like whatever that's fine if you want to show that in your horror movie but my problem is with the mpaa and we'll get into it when we get into it but here she goes, and this is like, you know, where the story takes another big twist. And she goes to the house of the old lady because she wants to apologize. She wants to try to make it right. And it turns out the old lady died. So she's fucked now. The curse is on her for good. Uh, see, I think, I mean, I think that's a good story idea. I mean, that, you know, you have this curse on you and you, the one person who can lift it suddenly you find is dead. That's, a, you know, it's, that's a good, like, kind of like second act revelation. No, I, I like it. I like it that it takes it up a notch. And uh, the one uh, the one scene that I really like... And let's face it, gypsies are, cre- are creepy, so this scene plays well, I think. So speaking of which, like, I don't know, like, like, are, like do you guys... I mean, you're, you're probably not that you're offended, but are you guys like me? Like, I'm a little surprised that, like, people weren't, didn't, like, kind of call this movie out as racist. Because, like, like, if this movie would have been, like, made 20 years ago... And, like, they would have portrayed, like, say, Asians in this way. Like, I think, you know, I think in modern times people would have been like, hey, that, looking back, that movie is racist. Like, this movie is pretty stereotypical of, like, you know, gypsies and, like, because, like, I don't know, li- li- like, living living in a major city, like, like uh, and I don't know, like, what, you know, nationality this woman's supposed to be, but this it could easily be read as either Romanian or Arme- Armenian or like it's it's very weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I, gypsies are like a culture that seem to like never complain about the way they're depicted in movies because <laughs> yeah. they seem to like, they get this depiction a lot. But I, I to me, because it seems like because it is like a Raimi horror film, which usually they he has like that more kind of classical feel. The, you know, it just reminds me of the way gypsies are presented in, like, the old Universal horror films, and it's kind of like a throwback to that. Right. Now, by, by the way, go, let me guess. You didn't like the, the gag we just saw, right? No. See, like, Goat, I want to throw something out that I yeah. honestly believe, and I think you'll disagree with, but I, I, in my heart, believe this. You were talking earlier about how you said, like, your problem with this is that Sam Raimi got older, so he should have got more sophisticated. But I don't think it's that Sam Raimi like outgrew or like didn't like get more sophisticated. It's just I think you outgrew Sam Raimi, and I have a feeling that like if Evil Dead Two as it is was like released now, you would you would like criticize it and say it's like a hokey piece of shit. I mean, maybe like I mean I don't know. That, that's very hard to say just because Trev, if it was released now, which I guess in a way you could say maybe Evil Dead is you know the remake is kind of like you know what it would be like more. Maybe with like some CGI enhancements or something. No, would... but I'm saying just Evil Dead Two, like as is. I think if it, if you watched Evil Dead, if you had never seen Evil Dead Two before, and you watched it now, but we're we're told it was like a modern film, I think you would like think it was you would like make fun of it and say it was a bad movie. 
But because you grew up with it, maybe you might give it a little more leeway. See, but that's hard for me to say, though, because so much of what I find charming, like I love the stop motion elements in Evil Dead 2. I love the makeup. Like if all that was replaced, like with CGI, like, yeah, maybe I would feel different because to me, there's not like a lot of. I don't know, like, there's not, like, an awe factor or a wow factor with CGI. So maybe if it was made now. But if if you're saying, like, literally, if they just made it old school, with still with stop motion and all this shit, like, like I, you know, I, I think I would like it. Cause, like, to I don't me, know, because a lot, a lot of things you're attacking, you're not just attacking for CGI purposes. You're attacking because you think, like, the, the, the sense of humor is too corny and that, like, his, like, filming style has a weird sensibility. So, I mean, I... If you were just attacking this film for bad CGI, I think this would be like a different debate. See, see, but my problem with this, though, and I do believe there are some true horror moments in Evil Dead, too. I don't think there's a lot of true horror in, the, in this film at all. My problem is maybe it was because he was going for the PG-13, which he claims he was. He claims 100% he wanted this movie to be PG-13. What I didn't like was I didn't like the—this the, the was the major problem I had the first time I watched this. I didn't like the gore scenes or even the tension scare scenes. Like, I did not like that being replaced with nonstop barfing, barfing. Like, how many times do we have to watch this fucking old lady barf in this movie? Like, it's repetitive, it's stupid, like, it's just Don't we dumb. only watch her barf twice? No, she barfs, well, well, I don't know if you counted the barf, but she barfs out the ruler, she barfs out the magus, she just barfed out, well, her corpse, to be fair, barfed out the, uh, embalming fluid, which I don't Which even... is, that's such a, that's a good gross-out gag, I think. I mean, come on, how many times have you seen a person get embalming fluid spilled out of <laughs> out of a corpse on them but bird my whole point is if you would have balanced that out with like some good gore gags some good scary things like like my point is like i'm not saying it's not a good you know gross out gag what i'm saying is this is a film of nothing but gross out gags like but i mean like where in this movie would there be gore nobody really gets killed except for one person at the very end i mean there's no reason for that this movie needs to have a lot of over-the-top gore that's that's why it doesn't need to be rated r well in its currently conceptive form bird what i'm saying is okay like whatever these things are that she's seen or coming after her or, or the old lady attacks her over and over it's like it's not a straight ghost like you can't argue that it's a ghost thing like the, like there's physical interactions with these whatever I don't know what you would call it, these apparitions or whatever. It's like, you could have made a great movie out of her hafting the well, fire. That, wait, just, that, that is framed in a way where that looked like the, like a giant iPhone. Did anyone else think that? No, yeah, it was. I, I'm, I'm sure that had to be like an in, in joke you know, oh, yeah. with, with Justin Long being the Mecca. But my point is, Bird, is, is we could have got some great, like, tensious moments, some great action moments, some great you know, gore moments of her fighting off all these creatures that come for her, like, on a daily basis. Instead, we just get this same... Like, this scene we're watching right now, this shadow, you know, this paranormal activity, goat, shadow, demon thing coming for her. Like, we've seen... We see this thing, this... Literally, this scene played out about three times in this movie. Oh, the old lady on a cell phone. Like, this shit is corny. This shit is bad. Like, if this was R-rated, and not just because it had an R-rated, you know, sticker on it, but if it was that type of movie, we could have got, like, a lot of great action scenes here. I mean, look at that CGI demon. This is piss poor. <laughs> well, I, I I think it's only supposed to be one demon that is, I, like, I, it's not really, you know, a lot of different creatures that she can fight, like, literally. No, it is one demon. Fight. The reason I remember that is because the demon is named the Lamia. And when this week came out, I actually was working at a... Uh, 
borders and we had a uh, an employee named Lamia so that gave this film like a, a whole other like level to me but did, was Lamia a boy or a girl just curious it was a it was a woman did you guys like taunt her nonstop and like... <laughs> no she wouldn't have even known what we were talking about with this kind of movie but okay but yeah, I'm with Burton. That I mean, like I, I, I mean, again, this is just a debate of like what kind of horror movies we, you like in general, what your expectations are. But like, to me, it, it would be a completely different kind of movie if she was fighting all these different creatures and everything. That would just it would even it would seem even more like him just trying to recreate Evil Dead. And this is more of just like, oh, here's the mo- you want to talk about the MPAA here, goat? Yeah, like I, I, I want to get back into this debate that we're just having. But this is what I'm saying. Okay, my num like to me. And, like, I'm very funny because, like, you guys know how much I bitch about PG-13 and all this. To me, like, this is just pure hypocrisy of the MPAA allowing her to kill this cat in this manner in this movie. And, like, I, like I flipped over to the theatrical version because this scene in the theatrical is completely different. It's, it's like, literally completely different shots in a different room in the way it's filmed. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't think it was any softer or easier the way they did it. But I have a problem with this being in a PG-13 film. Like, again, like... The shit you can get away with now in a PG-13 movie is disturbing to me. And the reason I say it is because when you see an R-rated movie in a theater, you have to be a certain age to get in. PG-13 does not mean you have to be 13 years old to get into that fucking theater. And that's why I think movie theaters, too, are big hypocrites. They'll let any kid of any age go in and see a PG-13 movie. And we just seen her kill a fucking cat. Which, hey, that's disturbing, like, as an animal, whatever. I don't like to see it, but that's not even my point. My point is, is the MPAA, when you're making a hard R movie, especially if you're making a hard R independent movie, they slam you over and over saying, we have a problem with easily imitatable violence, okay? So, like, a lot of times, like, you know, action scenes and in, in, in action films and stuff, like, you can't stab somebody with a knife, you can't do this or this. Like, they won't allow that, but they allow this bullshit... Because, you know, it's coming from Universal, a major studio. Okay, what part of anybody in the world, even a small kid, can pick up a knife and go kill a a helpless, innocent cat? And the MPAA's got such a boner about easily imitatable violence and all this. Okay, what part of that scene that, like, any kid could recreate? Like, that's bullshit. Like, fuck the MPAA for being such, you know, grandiose, hypocritical bastards. Like, for allowing that shit into a mainstream movie that anybody... To me, that's like, you know, and this is my personal thing. To me, that's like the, the, the most disturbing thing about this entire movie. And they'll let any like six or seven year old kid watch that. So, okay. So that was my soapbox. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> so you don't, you wish that the cat wasn't killed is what I got from that. I think it's fine to kill the cat in an R-rated film. That's my point. And like, honestly... Like, I would even say that if they carded kids for PG-13 movies, then I would say it would be okay to leave that in a PG-13 movie. But the fact that little children and the fact that people just let their kids of any age, like, they drop them off in minivans at a fucking movie theater, and they go, and they see something like that. And I'm not going to say that kids would imitate that. I'm saying that's the stance of the MPAA, and they'll let any child of any well, age... Well, the way I remember it is in the PG-13 cut, don't you... There's, like, no blood, though, right? And you don't even see the cat's body afterwards? Correct. Yeah, you you just see like it cuts to the an exterior of the house, and you like hear the cat like make a sound or something, and and then you see her like with the shovel, but you don't yeah you don't see the the body or anything like that. Cause cause I watched it and uh, Grant, this was earlier this morning. Maybe I'm forgetting, but I'm pretty sure you still saw a quick cut of the little dummy cat getting dirt thrown on top of it. Uh, Wait. maybe. I mean, I I don't want to say no, but I mean, yeah, that, there might, that... hey, but probably not with the stab wounds in it, like what we saw here. Yeah, but, but I f- actually find the theatrical whatever more serving because like 
like I can't remember if they showed on this cut, but the, on the PG thirteen cut, they still show it like because she's looking for the cat and the cat has like a little bed made in like a little clothes hamper. They still show that like little innocent cat sitting there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like just waiting to be slaughtered. Like, to me, that's like the worst thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I kind of get what you're saying about the hypocrisy in terms of violence. But the thing that I mean, what doesn't bother me about a scene like that being in a PG-13 goes to like a different matter at the MPA where to where I think like a problem with them and, and like the way people view modern horror is like what people don't think kids can take. And I, I, I mean, I know we're all like horror nuts anyways. and We all grew up as little kids watching horror films, but kids don't, you know, kids like to be scared just as much as adults do. And I mean, kids don't mind disturbing stuff in their movies. And we've seen like kids films become like very pussified over the last decade or so, or even a little bit before that. But compare that to like the kids movies we grew up with, where they always had kids like in peril and like really dangerous moments and, really scary shit. I mean, think about even something like how scary like the large Marge scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure was when we were kids or stuff. There's moments in like well, even like Monster Squad or the Goonies. Yeah, I was going to say Goonies. Scary, yeah, know? there's lots of, you know, like, so like I don't I actually like the idea of like putting genuinely disturbing moments back into a film that kids can maybe see because I don't know. I, I think kids can take it more than sometimes adults give them credit for. No, I I agree. Like I never had that barrier, like really, of movies, um, except for me. Like when I was a kid, except for maybe movies that had like real, like extreme sexual content. But like you know, like like I was I you know I went to see R-rated movies nonstop when I was very young, like very young. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you, Trev. But in this modern day and age, like my point is like like is any rating that's not enforced or whatever because like i said like our ratings are enforced at theaters but pg-13s are not like any rating that's not enforced if you're going to have that all one size fits all rating and shit like like i think i don't know like i think it should be a very clean fucking movie like the like the fact that people are like so dumb that they take five-year-olds to see like dark knight rises and like I, like that's my problem is like we have these these movies that are rated like one size fits all everybody can see this because nobody enforces this rating but it, it still has all this violent and gruesome content in it that's my problem I don't so uh, if, if you were a parent would would, would you like uh like would you have a problem taking uh like a seven-year-old to see like the dark knight or this even like Honestly, and like this is just the easy cop out answer. Like it just would depend on the kid, because I do know that there are kids that are like get really fucked up about shit. Like when I was seven years old, I was reading Fangoria magazine, so like I was into the whole world of it. And if my kid was like how I was, I would have no problem with it. But like honestly, if I had a five year old, there's no way in hell I would take him to Dark Knight Rises just for the simple fact that it's so long. It's like it really is an adult movie. Like it, like I don't find it exciting. But you have to be able to sit there with attention span to like get all these like plot elements. Yeah, and and I mean like the there are some some like it's violent still you know that does that's the problem with the rating system in general, and that's why the rating system is kind of broken away. I mean. That, like you said, it's it's all up to, you know, one 13-year-old is completely different than another. And, uh, you know, some kids are actually more mature and can take that stuff and some kids can't. So there's this this whole idea of an arbitrary rating system just doesn't work in general. I remember someone a couple, like a year ago or so, I read an article online where he was pitching a new rating system where it, it broke down a lot more than just, you know, the four or five we have now. 
Um, well, I wish I, I wish I could. It was more like the video game ratings, and it seemed like that was it was more appropriate. But it was I'm sure the MPA would say it's just too confusing to have it broken down even more. But. Well, like well, like the MPAA uh, says that. Well, we do this thing where if you look on the poster, it will say R for violence, sexual content, but nobody reads that shit. Instead of saying like R PG thirteen, instead of an age thing, it just should be rated either like. Like whatever the content is, it should it just like like to me like a Dark Knight Rises, it should be rated V for violence. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. all right. Well, you know, and you know, I have to think this reminds me of uh, the whole the 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 big deal with um the the movie Don't or what was that called? <laughs> Don't be afraid of the dark. Uh, the the one okay. that the Del Toro wrote. Mm-hmm. He he. I mean, it's not it's not that great of a film, but that notwithstanding, it, he wrote it to be a movie for for a, a horror movie for kids, and uh, like like almost like a Goosebumps type thing, and and you like it got an R rating just because the MPAA said that, uh, you know, if it was a it was a child in very intense scary situations, and on the the little ratings card it said pervasive scariness was why it was rated R, and. I mean, Del Toro just said like, "Whatever, we'll take the R rating," and I mean that probably hurt it financially, also. But I, I mean, you can tell watching it that it, yeah, I mean, it's not a movie, it's not what an adult would want from a horror movie. It's very much a, like something that, like, uh, you would see like is like a, a Goosebumps episode or something. Like, it's very tame. There, there's really no on-screen violence at all. It's just the fact that it was a kid in these really intense, scary moments. That's what got it an R rating. Yeah, and, I, I don't and, know. And, you know, and, and like what's accepted, what's not, these things come in waves, too. And that's what is also frustrating about the MPA. I mean, because I, I, thinking about this film being a PG-13 and go, I know you talk about how, like, you were all, you were against this film when it came out right away just because it was a, it was a PG thirteen. But I would argue, like, look at Army of Darkness, which I well, that was a rated R, right? Yeah, it is. But, yeah. but there's, that's not an R rated film. I mean, if that came out today, I'm pretty sure it would get a PG thirteen. Trev, when you when you when like when you asked Goat that question about like if Evil Dead two came out now, blah blah blah, I think Army of Darkness would have been a much better stand in to ask him that question. Well, yeah, because it's a goofier so, film. But. So, do you want to re-ask him that question with Army? No, I'm sure his answer would be the then. same. But I'm just, I'm sure his answer would be the same. But I'm just pointing out that, like, though, like, yeah, both, like, those films, like, aren't really. Uh, well, I guess The Old Dead Two has a lot of blood, but yeah, with Army of Darkness, like, that's certainly not like a hard R. That's barely an R. And I mean, there was a certain point, like, uh, about in the mid 2000s, like, right around when, um, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Hills Have Eyes hit, where suddenly the MPA started to be like a lot more lenient with blood than they had been throughout the 90s. I mean, think about how much the, how the Saw, or not Saw, uh, Scream, compare the amount of blood in the first Scream to Scream 3, and Hollywood was really cracking down on that. And then suddenly, with, when, when like torture porn stuff came along, then the MPA was just like, yeah, okay, we'll let you get extreme again. And I'm sure eventually it's going to dip back, and it'll come, it, it goes in cycles, you know? Well, yeah, too. They, they get real sensitive about gun violence whenever there's like a... Um... Like a, what do you call it? Like a public massacre or what have you. But but when there's times where there's not headline shit of public massacres, then they'll let a little more go. Mm-hmm. I did just want to point out we talked all the way through. The yeah, I was going to bring that up. Justin Long's parents, but uh, I do know that Bruce Campbell was slated to have a a, a role in this and then couldn't because of burn notice. And I've always right. assumed it was probably the father because that's the only that's the only part of this I feel like I could see him in. Really, like, uh, I don't know, like, I was thinking he was supposed to be the medium assistant guy. 
<laughs> I, I guess seen. I could have seen him as the boss also. Yeah, that that would have been actually the boss. The boss seems like a bigger part though than I feel like Bruce Campbell would have in this. So I don't know. Like, I, and I, I don't know how early on Pamer was cast, but 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 to be fair, Trev, all the boss scenes are pretty much in the bank. So they probably could have shot him out like within three days. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, we we totally talked over uh, the going to meet the parents scene, which to me was another bullshit scene. We, it showcased her insecurity as an old farm girl. And then we had some stupid gags of a piece of cake having an eyeball in it. Like, I don't know how much you guys want to defend that, but to me that was just more hit over the head, corny, Raimi, stupid I like that. It was, it was, I mean, do you feel like that about the part in Evil Dead 2 where, like, the lamp comes to life and stuff? I mean, it was in the same vein, I think. Well, no, just because that's a much better movie. But here we go. Guys, you saw that CGI that just flew across the screen. Was that not 1994 Jim Carrey the Mask <laughs> territory CGI? That was some bad. That was some bad. That was CGI. horrible. <laughs> but I do think that I do I do think that scene's funny. But yeah, that CGI is bad. Oh, it's horrible. Just horrible. And like that's my point. Is like you won't get an argument from me on that. How can Sam Raimi watch the progress on that special effects scene? You know, when they update it and they, he sees all the different like how unless there was a rush to finish this production, how could he allow that to be in a major film that was going to play on three thousand screens? Like, well, I mean, maybe ugh. he wanted it to. I mean, I, this is just speculation. I, maybe he wanted it to be like that because it was cartoony, so he wanted it to look like a cartoon. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's Sam Raimi. The guy loves Looney Tunes and Three Stooges. I mean, he 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 doesn't. He's not really looking for realism, you know. He, well, yeah, because he puts a lot of cartoon sound effects, which to me is like a little too much or what have you. But yeah, like like the, like when the the little old lady had the staple pop out of her eyeball, there's like a little. Like, there was, like, a boing kind of thing in a couple of these, like, you know, little attack moments or what have you. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that, that that eyeball popping out bad CGI we were just talking about, I do know that they had to darken the color for the theatrical cut of the blood. Yeah. So that's another little difference there. Yeah. I don't know. Are you guys are, are you guys familiar with how this cut lost a minute? Because that's what I'm not. I don't, I've never quite been clear of, like, what's been cut out. You, you it's, know, it's, it was all in the cat scene. The cat scene plays yeah. longer, longer okay. theatrical. Well, well, what I saw, uh, I looked up a, like a, I found like an article on the internet which like did screen grabs and comparisons. Trev and it's basically just a lot of stuff was like cut differently. So like there, it was it was it was more like a substitute. It wasn't just like okay, here's a scene, cut out this five frames, cut out. It was more like they had a substitute takes for okay, things. Okay, so it's kind of like a. I know the, um, not the bird's going to care about this, but I think you're with me, Goat, in liking Jennifer's Body. Oh, yeah, it's but, a fun but Jennifer, movie. Gen- Jennifer's Body, the director's cut, is kind of like that completely alternate cut where they used, like, a lot of different takes right, and a lot yeah. of the scenes are structured a lot differently, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, alternate angles, so, like, they had to construct the scenes differently, so it, it just, you know, it just was, I don't know, just different takes, basically, you know, that added up to a different running time. I don't think it was anything intentional or whatever. Mm-hmm, Okay. And, and now, go, now going back to the CGI thing, I did, now I'm not going to defend how good that CGI was in that moment because it was, it was, ter- it was, it was terrible, and I'm not, you know, I'll never deny that. But the thing is also like, this is I, and birds heard me make this argument before, and I, you know maybe I'm alone in this, but to me like CGI is like a, is a storytelling tool like anything else, and if 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 you're not liking the movie, then yeah, you're gonna like not like the bad CGI. But if you're into the story, it really just shouldn't bother you that much. And I mean. 
there's there's old movies from the 70s and, and or 80s that I like that you watch now, and the effects are terrible. I mean, oh, there's, there's, sure. bad, yeah. there's bad green screen, there's bad compositing. Sometimes the stop motion animation is really bad. And it's just, you know, that it is what it is. And, you know, as as these things progress, you know, movies in the future will have better CGI than the ones used to. And Yeah, I mean, just look at the... I mean, one of the best scenes in any sci-fi movie is the cantina scene in Star Wars. And half of that is people just wearing shoddy rubber masks, you know? Yeah, so I just... I, I never have the heart in it. I never have the heart in me to, like, attack a movie for, like, poor CGI, you know, unless... I mean, maybe, like, the sci-fi channel kind of ones were... But, you know, other than that, it's just a storytelling tool, and you just go with it or you don't. And if the, if the, if the story's lost you, I think you'll be more bothered by it than otherwise. I mean, my, my only point, Trev, is, and this is just like, I'm not trying to argue or anything, this is just how I completely feel, is, hey, man, like, all, all three of us, man, we watch enough movies, whether it's practical, whether it's CGI, we know when fake shit is fake shit. I mean, it's a movie. They don't do shit for real, you know what I mean? So it's like... But my thing is, when it's so bad, like, like I'll, I'll be like, okay, you know, CGI, like, if it's a shot where something's happening, where the only way you could do it, like, even have the scene is CGI, like, even if it's bad, then I'll accept it. But when it's just, like, so bad, like it was in that eyeball-popping scene, when it's so bad that it, like, you, it takes you out where you, you notice how bad it is, and it's not even, like... You know, I see that bad CGI and I just throw my arms up like, oh, this movie sucks. Fuck this. The effects are bad. It's not that. It's just when it's so bad that I have to notice it, it makes that 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 one little particular scene not effective for me. Just as a mm-hmm. storytelling moment. And, to, and that's what my problem with this movie is, is there's enough of those moments spread throughout that I, it just kind of all adds up to me feeling like this movie is not really that well done and like that's just you know the feeling i get from watching it yeah i mean it's just that's just one aspect of it you know i mean one of my favorite horror movies of like the last 20 years is uh stuart gordon's dagon which has i love that movie dude yeah and i mean that movie has cgi that's worse than this i think i mean that movie has some of the worst cg (laughs) like i've seen it, it, it is very, very obviously low budget. But my my thing with with that bird, whereas I feel, I feel what Dagon has that this movie doesn't have, is I feel like Lovecraft. I mean, come on. I mean, even though there's horrible CGI in Dagon, the thing that I like about that movie is its atmosphere and it takes its time building it up. And that's my problem with this movie is it's it's cut for a modern audience. It's cut for a younger audience. You know, the the editing rhythms, the pacing, it's cut to be quick. And, like, that's why I feel like so many of those early scenes, uh, even, like, the character building scenes between her and her boyfriend, like, they don't work because it's just like, oh, here's a scene of them getting a staple, you know, a staple out of a fucking copier or whatever. Like, it just it just gets added up to a bunch of nonsense. We never, even in this mansion, which this is an awesome set, I, on the behind it, this is an awesome set. Like, we never... I don't know. We never get like a real feeling of, of you know, atmosphere or ambiance in this because the movie you know is playing that quick pace to to play to a younger audience. And and to me, that's the difference between a good movie with ambiance and tension and like getting you you know in a certain mood having bad CGI. Whereas we just have like a quick, easy breezy movie with bad CGI that. It, like to me, this is just total junk food cinema. Like it adds up to nothing. It's not even good junk food. It's like shitty jack-in-the-box midnight junk food. 
But go, I guess this goes back to, I mean, I, I was just talking about this in like a Facebook message we had going, and I guess now is as good a time to talk about it as ever, is that you're saying it's cut for a modern audience and you don't like it because it's got modern sensibilities. But the fact is, I mean, you're not that younger audience anymore. And I mean, you can either put your foot down and say like, I'm only going to like the kind of horror movies that were around when I was younger, or you can choose to like adapt and like go along with these trends. And that's where I feel like, I, I hate to like put myself on this higher ground than other horror fans, but I've always just put said like, I love horror, and I don't qualify it any more than that. Now, sure, there's certain subgenres I love more than others, and there's certain ones I don't like as much. But I've never wanted to be the kind of guy who's like, well, the only good horror was the stuff I grew up with or from this particular era. I mean, these things come along. These things change. And you do kind of, like, go along with the changes. And, yeah, yeah. like, the modern, the pacing is different now in modern films, but I've learned to go along with that, and it's going to keep changing, and I, I accept that. Well, it I sounds mean, like you, you, It sounds like, goat, you don't, but, I mean... Well, I mean, you, you got to think, like, uh, you know the 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 people that grew up watching the Universal movies felt that way about the Hammer movies. The people that watched the Hammer movies felt that way about, you know, the stuff that came out in the 80s. The people that, you know, uh, grew up in the, the 80s felt that way about, you know, stuff in the 70s. I mean, that's just the way, it, 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 like any other kind of film. I mean, pop culture changes with the times and sensibilities change. And I mean, we we say, oh, we love horror movies from the 80s and part of that is because they feel like they're from the 80s you know and and those movies when they were made were made for a modern audience the same way that this was made for the audience in 2009 and you know i mean and the and the reason i don't want to be down on that i don't know where you guys come on with me on this is that you know i don't want to like so kids today who are getting into horror are getting into it from a different kind of movie than i did but you know what I'm always going to be happy when new horror fans are being formed. And it doesn't matter if it's from a movie like Drag Me to Hell or if it's from a movie like Reanimator. I mean, I just, horror is great. And like, the more horror fans, the better. And if this is the, if these are the kind of movies now that are what kids see as horror, then great. Give it to them. And I'll go along with them too. And I'll like the ones that I actually find fun. And I'll not like the ones that, that seem a little shitty. But it is what it is. And I'm, I'm willing to roll with the punches and, and, and each new trend that comes along, I can usually find, you know, you know five or six good movies in there. I mean, I don't know, guys. Like, honestly, I like just like you have your thing about that, Trev, I have my thing where I feel like people are lying to themselves. And don't get me wrong, films in general, I think right now, 2013, there are films being made that are just as good as any film ever made, period. But in terms of, like, especially, like, horror films and stuff, I agree. I, I mean, Trev, you know me, man. I'll, I see a million fucking movies, and I will continue to see the modern horror movies, and I might not enjoy them as much, but I'll watch them because I want to watch a horror movie. But my thing is, is on the flip side of that coin, is you, you don't have to lie to yourself. And, and yeah, they are different, and they are do have a different sensibility, but I don't think I'm not liking these movies because I'm an old man now. I think I'm not liking these movies because they're not as well done. Like, there's a reason why, like, you know... Frankenstein and Dracula live on whatever 70 80 years after they're made because they're good fucking movies and I think my thing is my point is these movies will not live on like these big box office success movies now they won't live on nobody's gonna remember them in 10 years let alone 50 or 60 I don't know that's time will tell I mean the ones that people have like overly criticized I think in the last years I think They'll be surprised to find, like, like look at the Saw series, which everyone loved to shit on. I bet you, like, in, the Saw series is going to have the same kind of, like, it's going to stick around just like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street did. People are going to keep revisiting it. I mean, so, but there's going to be that, that certain group of people like, well, the Saw, that's not real horror because it's well, filmed but, uh, this way and cut this way, you know. And 
No, but I mean, but also, what... I mean, just just because a movie like makes a small splash, like this, for instance, you're saying like, oh, well, no one's gonna remember it. But I mean, like, who remembers Dagon? Who remembers Prince of Darkness? Who remembers In the Mouth of Madness? Who remembers, who remembers the, the the burning? Possession. The possession. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there's so well, many great horror movies that just get shuffled go, under go the your, rug. Go you one know? of your and, favorite movies of all time is Night of the Comet, and like 40 people like that movie. I mean, but, but yeah, no okay, okay, that. Trevor, can you really say that though, honestly? Like, I understand, like, but that movie is built of a fan base over 30 years, and that's the reason why it's released on Blu-ray. Like, but it took 30 years to build up that fan base. So what, let's wait. Let's let's get back together and record another podcast 30 years from now and, and see which of these modern horror films have done the same thing. And I'm sure a lot of them will have built up a, like a cult following over that time. That's what happens. But I mean, some of them but, already have. I mean, movies like uh, The Mist and Midnight Meat Train. I mean, no one really they, saw them when they. When they came out, and now, I mean, people remember, now it's something that people have gone back and watched on TV or rented, and they've already formed cult followings. And See, they, I, of course, you know. I, I want to get into this scene that's going on in the movie, so let's call a time out on this. I do want to talk about this once we get to another slow law point. I think your guys' argument is completely flawed, and I, I'll tell you why. But we'll leave that on a cliffhanger for now. Trev, you got to talk about this sequence. This is probably the most famous sequence from this film, the seance scene with, where she goes to the old lady, and you know they're trying to get the spirit contained into this goat so they, then they can slaughter the goat. So, so I think we need to do a little bit of play-by-play -play and talk about what's going on right here. Well, I mean, I, I don't have much play-by-play -play to do. I do think it's a fun scene. I'm sure you don't. But this whole smart, this whole part with the goat does give me, like, a very Evil Ted 2 kind of vibe. And, you know, this goes back again into, like, whether you can go along with Raimi's, like, goofy sense of humor or not will depend on how you view this scene. Now, this part right here, it very much turns into an Evil Dead film for a moment here. See, uh, yeah, when this came out... Very yeah, when this movie came out, everybody said, oh, it's pretty much Evil Dead 4, which gave me hope. And, like, to me, this is the only Evil Dead scene. Like, like, look at this shit this guy's doing. That was Bruce Campbell's part. That had to be Bruce Campbell's part. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the better done scenes of the film. I think it's good. Like, if the whole, if the whole movie was like this, and this has high production value, stunts, action, everything's going on here. It's exciting. And, like, this scene has what I don't think the other scenes of that chick just in her bedroom getting slammed against a wall, you know, it's like a lot of thought went into planning this, shooting this, like it plays off as a, you know, from start to finish a, a full sequence, if you will, whereas everything else in this movie just seems like they shot a couple shots and then fucking put CGI in it. Well, then the movie escalated and built up to its strongest stuff. See, that's what a film's supposed to do, goat. <laughs> I don't know, though. I, I, I just think... You know, if you if out of context you showed like one of the earlier scenes to somebody and then you showed this scene, like it wouldn't even seem like it's from the same movie. This is so much better done. And to his credit, you know, I don't know if it was the schedule or whatever, but like Raimi obviously put a lot of more effort into this scene and it shows and like I just wish he would have brought it, you know, like I got, like it just seems lazy to me, like the other shit that's in this movie. And see, this even has the horrible CGI in it, but that's my argument. Like, I'm not going to complain about this bad CGI because there's a whole, there's a whole lot to like other than the bad CGI in this scene, is what I'm saying. Whereas the other ones are just excuses to do a quick bad CGI shot. All right, now do you want to tell us why our argument is flawed <laughs> about Colton? Oh, oh, no, okay. What I'm saying is, 
Drag Me to Hell comes out, promote it, whatever, you know, 2,500 screens, 3,000 screens, you guys are saying, like, well, this might be remembered in 30 years because, you know, those other films had to build up. But the point is, like, with a movie like Night of the Comet, the reason it took 30 years, guys, is because what was the biggest at ever one-time push that movie had? Maybe 100 screens throughout the country with no marketing? Like, but, oh, but how do you vouch for something like The Thing, which came out on like as many screens as E.T. and bombed horribly, and no one even discovered, no one saw it, no one liked it until years later, you know? Well, here, I mean, these things take time. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, yeah, The Thing did bomb, but you know what? Like, like look at the box office of The Thing. Oh, it bombed, but still thousands and thousands of people opening weekend went to see that. Now, maybe they didn't like it, maybe they didn't recommend it to their friends, but it was out there in the public consciousness so that... When the movie did come on video and people were like, ah, maybe I heard this was bad or maybe I whatever, but I'll give it a rent. At the very least, they heard of the movie. They heard the title. They knew that it existed. And that's what I'm saying. Like, these other movies are such good quality that it's kind of like the cream rising to the top type of thing where these other movies were so good. People saw it over the years. They recommended it to their friends. It was all word of mouth. Okay, you know, yeah, the, the legacy hasn't been written on a movie like this. But it's been four years. Nobody's talking about it. Like on Facebook, when everybody's talking about, ooh, the movies I watched to get into the spirit of Halloween, I have not seen one fucking person, you know, talk about this movie, period. And everybody's talking about their favorite horror movies right now. No, but go, come on. I'll tell you why you're being flawed now. This is going to be the most contentious movie wars yet. This is good. Go, <laughs> we, go. we finally have a movie war. Finally. Yeah, really. <laughs> Goat, you know better, and you're better than this because the the thing is, the the whole movie culture has changed in those in that time. I mean, a movie like Drag Me to Hell, if it had been released at the time of Night of the Comet, it probably it might have had that same kind of release. But see, nowadays, if you don't make that huge, you know this as well as anyone. If you don't have that huge opening weekend, then the studio pulls you out of the theaters right away that second weekend, and just more movies are released now. It's a completely different culture where it's it's harder to make that kind of impact and. and more films, more modern films, unfortunately, are going to be forgotten because it's become so much more bloodthirsty in terms of how you have to market a film and how you have to have it released. And these films, that's the one bad thing about the like the, the, the disadvantage modern horror films are at is that they don't even get that chance anymore to build up a cult following because they don't have that, like, they don't get to stay in theaters and they don't get to go on a run across the country like the way they used to where they go to different regional theaters. It's all one and done weekend, man. And so Drag Me to Hell had its little moment, and unfortunately, it might not ever get to build up that cult following because of the way the movie culture has changed, and it won't. It it doesn't get that same kind of chance to build up a following. And by the way, I don't. The only person I ever see talk about Night of the Comet on Facebook is you. <laughs> oh bullshit! <laughs> bullshit! Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about. It. Go to the Screen Factory page. Shit! Even go to the Exploited Cinema page. Everybody's talking about it. Well, like, a movie like if if Reanimator, if Reanimator was released today. Right. You know, the, maybe it would get dumped out there. And if it didn't make anything that first weekend, it would be gone. And you know what? There's no way it would become the classic it did become, even if it was just as good of a movie. I mean, I, I honestly think modern horror films say are work at much more of a disadvantage in that way. There's just more of them. The marketplace is more crowded. And just it, it's completely shitty how they don't let movies stay in and kind of build up a following anymore. And it's not really an indicator of quality either. I mean, no, Halloween, that's what I'm saying. No, it's, it's not, not. It's, Halloween, Halloween 3 is still, I mean, still, even getting a Blu-ray release, special edition and everything, it's still one of the most widely hated horror movies ever. And, I mean, I still think it's a well-done movie, but, I mean, that's when you get down to, I mean, 
where I mean, eventually you just have to say, look, that's just your opinion. I mean, and to say these movies won't ever be re like you know revisit or whatever. I, you know, horror fans will always go back and watch and horror you know f- try to find the old horror films that they missed. And uh, especially when with Sam Raimi's name on it, people are going to co- keep going back and rewatching this. Whether the, the thing that's going to keep this from becoming a big deal is the fact that it's not an Evil Dead film. It'll always be judged that way. But I mean, in a, in a day where like Night Train to Terror is about to get a Blu-ray release. I'm sure, you know, this will get some kind of, like, resurgence of attention somewhere down the line. This is exactly the kind of movie that I could see Scream Factory releasing in 20 years, you know? I mean, like, I, 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 you, they, they're doing all these Carpenter movies, like uh, Prince of Darkness, which, I mean, no one saw. Everybody's forgotten about it. It's only fans are, like, a really small group of horror fans that, you know, they, they like it because they, li- they think it's a solid John Carpenter movie, and, I mean... This this could easily be like Sam Raimi's Prince of Darkness, you know. It's a it's a movie that, you know, it it, it just having his name on it is going to attract people to it, and you know, its fan base is going to grow even if it's grows only a small bit. I mean, Prince of Darkness doesn't have the hugest fan base either. Right, and give it some time to get away from the, just the conception of like, oh, it's not Evil Dead Four, and so I was disappointed. You know, the further it gets away from that, the better its chances might be too. By the way, guys, did you guys? We got a ton of cameos going on in this diner scene. We just had Chris Hardwick's girlfriend. Now we got the cheesy old butler from Spider-Man Three sucking on the gas tank in the corner. <laughs> plot, plot device, bu- plot yeah. device butler. He's sitting over there, sitting over there, really sad that he didn't prevent the entire Spider-Man series from happening with that information. <laughs> plot device butler, he's back. And Chris Hardwick's girlfriend, you can still see her in the background. She's so sad because she's with that dorky guy and not Chris Hardwick. She's not on the Nerdist channel yet but yeah we t- we t- and i'm you know what i'm glad we did i don't mind it because i think a lot what we just talked about in the last 20 minutes was a lot more interesting than anything that's going on in this movie but we totally talked through the whole plot devices we do that all the time ba- basically <laughs> I actually, you know what i have to admit when we did this one when we started this one i kind of had a feeling this one was going to turn into just a discussion about horror in, in general right because even though I, even though i like the film i kind of knew there's not as much to talk about on screen yeah. as there was with like the spider-man films for instance yeah, there's there's not a lot of meat on the bone, so to speak. But yeah, basically what's happened is at this point in time, she found out that the cursed object, which is the button off her jacket, if she hands this to somebody else, then the curse, you know, the demon will come for them instead. So she's at a diner, she's trying to find somebody to pass it off to, but, you know, nobody seems worthy of going to hell. And now we have Stu pop up. And, we, you know, the little plot device that he had stolen some files from her to snake her out of a deal, to sabotage a deal that she was working on at the bank. So he's going. she's going to give him the button. And then uh, I, I, I really don't understand this scene at all. I don't understand why Stu doesn't end up with the button. <laughs> I've seen this movie three times. Like, what do you think about this, Trevor Bird? Uh, what do you... I, I don't really understand the question. Why he why doesn't he end up with the button? Because it's a Sam Raimi movie and he wants to make the main character miserable. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, that's Luck. what I mean. Why, why, do you, why do you think Sam Raimi is is that just it that Oh, you were you were being facetious. Okay. No, I wasn't even being facetious. I'm just saying why do you guys think cuz like I think this movie would have been a lot more satisfying if Stu would it would have ended up with the button. Oh, see I don't. But yeah, I mean, I don't the, that that the 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 end of this movie is like it's a cruel punchline. Like uh, Sam Raimi, I mean, just like the end of Evil Dead, just like the end of Evil Dead Two, just like the original ending of Army of Darkness, it's it's a sick, cruel joke. 
<laughs> most of my most of my favorite horror films end like I mean like end like that. I mean, look at the mist or like you know, look at uh, Night of the Living Dead where it's like Ben gets through all that just to be shot by you know like these moron rednecks. I mean, horror to me works best when the, the final moment is kind of like a, a punch to your stomach. Like, screw you if you thought you were getting a happy ending. You know. No, I understand yeah, that, but what I'm saying is for this is a woman who chopped up her kitten. Okay, she had the balls to do that, but she doesn't have the balls to hand the fucking thing to stew the asshole who she's hated the whole movie just because he finally admitted his snaky doings and, you know, came clean or whatever and apologized. What I'm saying is fuck stew, all right? Give him the button. <laughs> Send him to hell. Fuck him. But it's a character. I mean, you know, yeah, she killed a kitten, but I mean, it's different to, I, I you know, I look, but I'm not, I love cats, but even to me, I know in my soul that like killing a cat is different than killing a human. I mean, so, and plus she did that in the heat of the moment and here she's had time to think about what she's going to do. I mean, to just have her give him the button would completely change the film to where it'd just be about her becoming a villain now. And that's, he. I think we're still supposed to be a little sympathetic towards her at this point. I don't know. I just think he deserved it. But what 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 did you guys think of this uh, little face in the handkerchief gag? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like to me, that again, I can just say this is more Sam Raimi corny horseshit. But what do you think of all this? I mean, I I like the idea of her fighting with a napkin. You know, I mean, it, it does bring back memories of you know the absurdity of Evil Dead. But I mean, as far as I mean, you said the face in the napkin. Yeah, I mean, that's that, what I'm saying. Like, I mean, not, I I could I could I, I mean, I like this scene, but I could have done without that face. You yeah. Know? Which, that's another thing about this movie, I mean, granted, we're not building a franchise like a Freddy Krueger type thing, but, like, a lot of the supernatural going on shit that we had, it like, I didn't even, I don't know, I just thought it was all kind of like, like, oh, this would be cool if we do this, cool if we do that, but none of it really makes any sense. Like, I still don't understand why the, the, the old lady comes back to, uh, you know, haunt her so much or whatever. Like, wouldn't it just be the demon doing it all the time? Like, why is the old lady also always attacking her? Well, I mean, part of it is, I mean, it, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's visions of the old lady. I mean, it's a hey, demon. I got a, I got a, I got a better answer. Who cares? I mean, it's just more fun. <laughs> I mean, what? Look at, uh, like, uh, does anything make sense in Suspiria? That's a movie that like is one of the best horror films of all time. And then go back and watch it and tell me if that plot holds up at all, or if what, if anything <laughs> that happens makes any kind of sense. Look at something like The Beyond, uh, any Fulci film. It's it's just surreal shit. I mean, like to to complain about logic in these kind of films is just it just seems like you're not. It just seems like you're not in the spirit of the genre almost. Fair enough. No. <laughs> No, besides this being an obvious, like, terrible dummy, like, I feel like so much in this movie does not work, like, the relationships with her and her boyfriend and this and all this, but obviously, besides this being an obvious, like, rubber dummy, I, this is my favorite scene in the entire movie, I love the look of this. because she's wearing a wet shirt? Exactly, you nailed it right there. (laughs) No, no, I... I buy this. I buy her emotional acting commitment to it. Like, when I watched this scene this morning, I was like, fuck yeah. Like, like that shot right here, looking up out of the grave, like, it's so badass. Like, and, fu- and clearly another scene that Alison Lohman must have really loved uh, doing. I mean. Yeah, basically what happened was they had to try all these different mud tests because she has sensitive skin, so she broke out in hives the first time. And eventually what they did was they had to get, like, spa mud. And, like, water it down. Why, why does anybody agree to be in a Sam Raimi movie? <laughs> hey, man, like, I, I guess it's better than just always being on the casting couch. You know what I mean? Like, I really have 
I'd rather have uh, maggots puked into my mouth than some casting directors, you know what, but... They'd have to like blow Michael Bay. Exactly, that would be the worst. That would be the worst. Because like I, th- I feel like Michael Bay would again cartoon sound effect, but that's okay. I love this scene. I, 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 the, I, other, other than the fact, did you guys see the horrible string that was on the dummy when she was wrestling with the dummy? Like I noticed that the first time I watched this movie, there's a big cable pulling the dummy up and down when the dummy's on top of her. But whatever. I guess Sam Raimi didn't have time to CGI that cable out. But no, I feel like Michael Bay would blow you, and like he would even explain to you that he's not gay and he won't get any pleasure out of this. But he would make you blow him just so he could have, you know, hold that over the over your head for the rest of your life. Like he just wants that power. Sounds uh, like something you. It sounds like something you've thought about before, goat. It's something I've weighed on many occasions. I thought it through. <laughs> Now, uh, I have a question for both of you. Have, any, have either of you seen the um, the movie Night of the Demon? Not Night of the Demons. I'm talking about the old black and white Jock Turner uh, movie. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, Bird, but no, I have not seen it. Trev? I, yes, I have seen it. It's been, okay. a, it's been years, but yeah. This movie is basically a remake right. of that. Like, oh, right, like yeah, that's a, what Wikipedia says. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. The, like, this is basically a comedic version of that movie. And, I mean, Sam Raimi, he, he owned up to that. Like, he... Like uh, you know when he, uh, he, he owned was... up, to, he owned up to that in a way he never owned up to the Evil Dead Equinox thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He even joked about it, saying uh, he he said they stole from me, you know. But I mean, yeah. clearly like, he's just joking. But uh, no, I mean, I goat. I mean, well, I mean, goat. I I think you're more into stuff from like uh the '70s and onward. But like uh, I mean, if if you do want to see like a more like serious take on this uh i i highly recommend it um like uh it because I, I mean it is like it is the same story you know and i mean right down to you know a lot of a lot of like um things like just like where certain sequences are set um i i, def- I, I definitely do want to see it just because it's something it's a film i've read about many times and i feel like i need to see it yeah but, i mean are, are but, you but, in, but I mean, definitely not 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 anything to do with this movie is inspire right. me to do anything but uh, um are you into like the older stuff i mean I, I feel like it's like stuff from the 70s and onward that you mostly are into which is fine i'm just curious B- believe it or not uh just in just noticing my period my whatever my habits I mean, occasionally, maybe something from the early 80s, but believe it or not, for the most part, my sweet spot is actually more like 85 to 95, just because, like, I'm more fond of films that, like, because, like, there's a lot of shit I saw in the early 80s that I don't really remember, but, like, if you want to, like, peg me for being nostalgic or whatever, yeah, it's more like... Yeah, but I, I like it. Do it so. So you aren't as into stuff from like the '40s and the '50s and stuff like that. To be honest, I don't know. To be honest, like not really. Like aside yeah. from the classics, like like I know I know you guys were were throwing an idea about Universal classic. I like that stuff, and I've seen most of those movies. My favorites um, being Frankenstein. Like I was a huge Frankenstein fan when I was a kid. Crazy about it. Uh, Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon. But like I don't know, like I, I, I don't have the expertise in those those areas. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I do enjoy yeah. it. Like I'm not clo- right. I'm not close to it at all. All right. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Check out Night of the Demon then, and also the Val. Like if you like the Val Luton stuff or movies like the original Haunting, like uh, it's more in that vein. But but I I, I do like the like I'm 
I don't know. Like, there's I, just not enough. There's not enough tits in old movies for the pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I think this movie would. We probably wouldn't even be having this movie wars if during one of the scenes where Elsa Moment was fighting a shadow, her shirt was torn open. Then Go would be like, "No, nah, I, I kind of like this film." Yeah. To be real honest with you, like I always liked this. Well, not like this movie, but my favorite thing about this movie was her. But I don't know why this last watch, like, like I never really. I didn't think she was nearly as ugly as they made out to be, but I actually did find her really attractive on this last viewing of this film. I always thought she was attractive. I mean, I just had to get over the Ellen Page esque performance in Matchstick Men, where she played like a twelve year old. But guys, we got to talk about it. She is getting to drag to hell right now, and this is like, if you watch my YouTube review, I really you know tore it up. And this part right here, not so much. But holy shit, does the CGI get worse towards the end of the scene right here? Right here, right here. Watch this shit, guy. The the, the hands are dragging her down. What is going on with her face there? What is that? That looks horrible. That looks like something from a Wing Commander CD-ROM game or something like from from '96. Like what happened there? But well, I don't know. I, you don't like the the last image of just him like horrified, just watches like you know fiance or whatever that she was dragged to hell and. It just ends. He's crying and just slam cut to the the title there. I, and, I he's, thought, and he's cursed, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that wasn't the coin. So. No, we have to talk about that. What what happened there? Because he's holding the button, and when, and every time I watch it, even this last time, I think that she's freaking out because he's holding the button. But even though he has the button, she still has the curse. I don't get it. Like, what the fuck is up with that? Like. Like, well, the curse must have some kind of time frame on it. It's not like you could just keep passing them because otherwise you could just keep passing the button over and over and over again, and no one would ever get dragged to hell. I mean, I assume that she was the one holding it at the at the time where like it came up, you know? No, no, she wasn't because um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his character name. The the bearded dude. There's a three day time frame when when he explains to her, hey, you can pass this off, but who you know whoever has it when the three days is up, that's who's going to get dragged to hell. So the three days was obviously up right there because that's when she got dragged to hell. But she never touched the button there. He was touch. He not only was he touching the button, he had the button in his pocket the whole time. But she she didn't give it to him. Like she has to actually give it. Like literally, like say like I am giving this to you. Like and it's yeah. yours. That's like, so that's it's still what, like so it's still like in, basically it was always in her possession. But it wasn't in her possession because she, she. But she has to give it to him. Like that's. But that, he had, that, <laughs> That's why she. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get let's get Ramy on the phone and get this settled. Oh, he's still have the credits rolling here. Trevor, if you have a five dollar bill that was once mine, but I didn't give it to you, but it's in your pocket, who has the five dollars? Do I have the five dollars, or do you have the five dollars? But, it's but that's curse, not the way the, that's not the way the curse works, goat. Oh my god. You guys just watched this, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I could watch this movie ten more times, and it's still... Now, I understand that when she goes to the grave, when she has the old lady dummy, she says, I formerly gift this to you. And she had, we didn't even talk about that. There was a mix-up with the envelopes. She, she, had, she thought she had the button, which I never understood why she never took it out of the envelope, but that's the hokey conceit of the double twist of this movie was... Was the button was in the envelope, but it got mixed up with another envelope that had a coin in it that was her boyfriend's. So she says, "I formally give this to this old lady dummy rubber dummy," and she shoves it in her mouth. Which, like, I understand, but like, even the bearded dude never said that. He just said he, she had to give it to somebody, whatever. So I understand what you're saying, Trev. You're saying she never said to her boyfriend, "I formally gift this 
coat button to you. But at the same time, he fucking had it the whole time. But you have to say that for the curse to work. <laughs> this is hilarious. Look, I, yeah, I'm not a gypsy. I don't know. I, you know, I didn't write the curse. You know. So, just... Okay, so so the movie. Okay, the movie ends. She got dragged to hell. He's holding the button, but it's still her button because she never formally gifted it. Now, is that button still cursed, or can that button be used and sewed onto another jacket? Yeah, I think he's probably safe to sew it onto a jacket. Okay, so whoever gets it won't be cursed or whatever. I mean, maybe if this film had done better, if people like you hadn't been so negative Nellies about it, maybe we could have got uh, Drag Me to Hell 2 and got our answers about the button. Drag we'll Me to Hell 2, the, Drag Me to Hell 2, the button continues, you know, we'll never know. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Nobody, nobody wants that movie. <laughs> I don't even think I would want that. But... No, I wouldn't. And I say that, I mean, I like this movie a lot, but, I mean, some <laughs> doesn't need a sequel. I don't know, dude. I, I'll stick to my my assumption, like, I'm like you guys, when, you, when you're talking about movies theatrically not doing all that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. I agree a thousand percent with you guys on that. To me, you know, the, pro, the proof is in the pudding of the time frame if this lives on afterwards. Because all those movies we were talking about, like the, you know, even the ones that bombed in the theater, like The Thing or what have you, they lived on because people saw them on video, kept talking about them, whatever. And, like, this movie's been on video for four years, and, like, nobody's watching it, nobody's talking about it. So, I mean, you know, time will tell, and I guess it's too early to whatever. But I yeah. mean, I, I don't necessarily even think that's valid. I mean, I, there's some horror movies that I love that nobody's seen, and, I mean, you, I mean, you're a co-host of Exploited Cinema. I mean, you, you know there's plenty of great movies that never even got to DVD. Some not even to VHS, you know? Yeah, I mean, you just did a whole episode about the movie The Initiation. Do you? Th- well, this is pretty awesome that they put the old uh, When in Hollywood Visit Universal Studios card on here, too. But uh, Yeah, it's kind of the wrap-up how they used the old-school Universal logo to right. open. Sam Raimi also insisted that they... If you guys remember back in the day, because, you know, there's Universal theme parks. When you saw a Universal movie in the theater or on videotape, I guess, at the end they had a little card that was an advertisement for the theme park, and that's what that was. But anyways, to get back to what I was saying with the initiation, I mean, really, how many people talk about that film? I mean, you know, only the most hardcore of hardcore horror fans even know about that movie. And you, just anytime you're, bo- anytime you're bored, go to, I'm sure you've done it, I've done it, you go into the, the, you know, the horror thing on Netflix, and there's all these weird, old, obscure horror movies you've never heard of, and you pop one in, and sometimes they're actually pretty good. And it, just because you haven't heard of it, and just because it's not a big deal, doesn't mean it wasn't, that's, again, that's not indicative of quality at all. Yeah, I mean, Society, uh, <laughs> that's another favorite of mine, Brian Usna's uh, Society, and no one knows anything about that movie. Yeah, I talked about it on a previous Halloween episode of our show, but uh, I love the, the exploitation film uh, Last House on Dead End Street. Uh, Bird knows I'm a fan of that film, and really, I never hear it. I never see anyone talking about that, um, and it's really like kind of just completely forgotten. I don't know. I, I haven't seen that film, but I've heard of it. It's funny you bring up Society, though, Bert, because I was just uh, telling Bat32 from Exploited Cinema last night that he needed to watch that, and he has a copy. He just has to watch it. So Oh, he hasn't seen it? No, he hasn't seen it. So oh, yeah, what a fool. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get that covered, so hopefully maybe both you guys, if you both like it, can jump on that episode when we finally do it. But I talk about Society. It's Yeah, it's great, man. It's like the... Uh, it's like the better version of Terror Vision, basically, with all the the sexual flesh melting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the movie's over. The credits. When I, I like. I almost. I don't know. I ho- hopefully people will be more engaged by the general talk that we did on this episode than anything that we could have done talking about 
drag me to hell. Cause... Oh, I think so. I mean, we can even let people know that this is one they can definitely listen to without having the movie on. Cause... Yeah, I think we definitely proved that. So, go. do you think Trev and I are lying to ourselves by liking this movie? No, no, no. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I mean, like, I, I'm, I don't know. Like, if you like it, you like it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm just saying, like, that's my problem with it and a lot of it, the way it's been... I mean, honestly, like, I'm not bullshitting you guys. Like, I just, you know, I just don't like this movie. That being said, I don't like it, but I've watched it three times now, and it's not a chore. And you still own it. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, got... I, I don't. I don't think I know anyone else who has such a massive volume of m- movies in their collection that they don't like. Well, <laughs> you... well th- this particular one, my my dad saw it in the theater. My dad loved it, so he got me the blue as soon as it hit. You know, home I want to hang out with your dad, man. He sounds like a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he probably he probably he'd probably be more on your guy's side in this one, but yeah, I don't know. Like it just. And I have to say, maybe this is my prejudice, maybe this is me being a blowhard, but if Sam Raimi didn't make this, if it was just somebody's first film or what have you, maybe it would have been, you know, maybe I'd be a little more gentler on it, but I don't know. It it, it just has a lot of things that get on my nerves, like bad CGI, and, you know, I don't want to sound like an asshole and be like, oh, I need a hero to root for or whatever, but like we were talking about before, like, there's nobody really to root for or root against in this movie. And there's something to be said for that, for, you know, making a movie with a lot of gray area. But at the same time, it, it doesn't make for a very thrilling experience. And I, I just wish, you know, like that seance scene where all hell broke loose. Like, I would be very much up for... Because this movie has a lot of mini scares where just the lady pops out and barfs on her or whatever. Like, I would have been fine if they would have, cont- you know, budget-wise, they just would have stuck to their guns and been like... Okay, we're going to do the movie a little slower pace, but we're going to really make three drag-out, awesome, memorable scenes instead of just having this non-stop gross outfit. I mean, I just find this movie very juvenile, and like, I can't believe a guy that Sam Raimi's age actually fucking made this thing, to be honest with you. I mean, you are a Tom Green fan, so there's that's nothing true. wrong with an, an, old, you know, an older guy being juvenile, I don't think, sometimes. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> And right, I mean, well, I... It, it felt like Sam Raimi, I mean, a lot of it, like you're saying, like it shows a lack of sophistication, but I feel like he, at that point he he had grown as a filmmaker and kind of wanted to go back to some of his old toys. I mean, you watch a movie like, um, uh, God damn it. I love this movie. Why can't I think of his title? The one with Billy Bob Thornton. S- and Simple Bill Plan. Pack. Yeah, I was, I was just simple simple bringing plan. that up. Were... Like, like, you can't make a movie like that and... I mean, that's such a sophisticated, like, mature film. I mean, or the he gift. knows. Yeah, I mean, he he knew what he was doing. You know. I, I mean, go go. You kept saying earlier about this one is just like you know one for the fans, and I I actually totally agree with that. I think he did just make this for the fans, and I think a lot of the filmmaking decisions he made in this were what he thought fans want to see from a, a Sam Raimi film, and kind of throw back to that like goofier tone of Army of Darkness, which by that point had built up a pretty big cult following, and. I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If, if even if his heart wasn't in, his, in it as much and he was just doing it for the fans, I don't see that as necessarily being a negative. No, I, I, I won't. I don't know. Like, like I said, like I won't take, you know, it's, it's not the type of movie I'll take him. I'll really take so many tasks. But just be like, oh, because I don't think he did it for cynical reasons. I don't think he just shit this movie out to make a quick buck. I think he did it in part to kind of up the reputation of his ghost house you know, brand name, which at the time was only putting out a lot of direct-to-video horror films or what have you. But I don't know. Like, it, 
Sam Raimi is interesting because, like, a movie like Simple Plan, which I think dramatically kind of fizzles about halfway through, it's beautiful, man. Like, and I'll give him his due. Like, maybe it was, you know, his Coen brothers' uh, influences rubbing off because he's had a long relationship with them. But, uh, I don't know. That's a beautiful movie. Like, even though dramatically it doesn't work for me, there's a lot of artistry in the way it's shot. And I gotta say, this movie, I never really touched on it while we were watching it, but this movie just shocked me with how bland and shitty it was looking. And it's set in Los Angeles. There's a lot of things visually you could do. And we know Sam Raimi loves his crazy camera angles. Like, even if you watch, like, Dark Man, you could see how crazy it was. And this movie had none of that. It was very, not, not even subdued, you know, in the way that, like, the shooting style of Simple Plan or The Gift is, or even his baseball movie, but uh, it just it just was bland. It just looked like something that somebody punched in and out, and I know that's not the case. I, you know, I know to make any movie, let alone a movie of this scope and scale, I know a lot of people work hard, and like, you know, I, I understand there was a lot of effort in this, but it, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't have the... I don't know if effort's the right word. Maybe the concentration or the vision or the focus that his other films had, even his non-horror films. Man, goat. Sometimes your selective like criticisms drive me crazy. So I can't wait till we. <laughs> I can't wait till we finally do do our like movie wars for Texas Chainsaw 3D, and I can reference back to all this talk about cheap sets and bland direction, and because <laughs> I. I mean, pot calling kettle black. That's all I'm saying. See, see, but but Trev, do you not like? Let me put it let me put it this way. Do you not do you not kind of see though my point of like I understand there's different levels of talent in filmmaking within directors and writers and you know all around. And what I'm saying is this is a disappointment because I believe Sam Raimi and his you know his team of people that he always works with, I feel like they had it within their power to make this movie a home run or a grand slam. And instead but tell, I mean Talent's one thing and like what you want to do and just for, you know, to make a quick, you know, this is probably filmed very quick and kind of a toss off film. And what you want to do for fun is it sometimes doesn't relate to talent. I mean, let's look at like the difference between, I'd say, like Dead Alive and Lord of the Rings. Right now, right. If, Peter, if Peter Jackson decides to make another movie like like Dead Alive, are you going to say like, oh, come on, this is the guy that made Lord of the Rings. This should be so much more epic and should be completely different now. Sometimes you just go back to your roots for the hell of it for fun. I mean, I, I can see that. I just expect a lot more from Sam Raimi, and I, you know, I, I don't know why you do. It sounds like you hate him. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I'm just not really a Sam Raimi fan. Like, I'm a fan of some of the films he's done, and like, I recognize his talent. But like, at this point, after sitting through the Spider-Man franchise, after sitting through this film, and I haven't seen the Wizard of Oz movie. But I'm not excited really to see it at all. I mean, after kind of the road that he's on and then he's trying to direct World of Warcraft movies or whatever, like, this is just somebody, like, I don't care about anymore. He's but I, been off of Warcraft for years. I don't know. But if, <laughs> if Bird, if he was on it for five minutes, man, yeah. that made me lose a ton of respect for him. You know well, what I'm you know saying? Who, you know who they have doing Warcraft now is uh, Duncan Jones, who did Moon. Oh, that's terrible, dude. That's horrible. Moon, I love Moon. It's awesome. The the follow-up, the Gyllenhaal train movie. Source code. Yeah, that was, I don't know, man. Like, I kind of, it kind of, it, it was it was a fine, it was a decent watch, but that's another guy I expected a lot more out of. For his second film, and if he's going to do for his third film, he's going to do World of Warcraft. Man, it's really disappointing. No, maybe I mean, but maybe he can bring something good to it. You know, you don't know. You know, we never know. That is that is true. That is true. I can't. 
And you know, I I can only watch Night of the Comet so many times. I do have to eventually <laughs> give other well, shit a some, chance. I mean, someone's got to watch it, so it might as well be you. You know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, so I'm still, I'm I'm having nothing to do with this. Bert, let's let let's get you to see it, and uh, you know, at your leisure or whatever. But <laughs> but let's get you to see it because I because I, I, we need you to be the tiebreaker. All right, I I, I have to see it now. Maybe yeah, maybe. Well, we I don't even. It's not. It's not that I don't like Night of the Comet. I just I I have like a, a complete ambivalence about it. It's just one of those films I watched, and it was it was what it was, and I've never really felt the desire to watch it again. Wow. It's especially for someone who likes Chopping Mall. I can't believe. Well, Night of the Comet does didn't. I don't know. Chopping Mall is like worse, so it's like funnier to me. Night of the Comet is more. Night of the Comet's more bland to me than Chopping Mall is. Wow. I I, I, I I can't believe you and me are only three years apart in age, Trev, and like you you still can't get all the the cultural reverence that's that's in uh, Night of the Comet. <laughs> okay. But it but anyway, yeah, we've long outlasted the running yeah, I was length about of to the say, movie. Do you think so, anyone's still listening to this? And and I can tell we're kind of losing energy because we're all kind of <laughs> getting tired from beating each other up. So unless there's a dying one last bone to pick. Are you guys ready to sail this ship out? Or uh, yeah, I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm good. It was a it was a good episode. Great I... conversation. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.